Good evening, America. How is everyone doing tonight out there in these wonderful United States? I hope you are doing well and welcome to a brand new edition of The Sea Report coming to you live on this Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I am your host, Mr. C, otherwise known as Michael Aaron Gossetis. Great to be here with you all tonight and great to be back in the saddle for a brand new day of uh, news, headlines, current events, etc. Ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we're glad to have you along with us on this journey. If you are joining us over at the foxhole.apphill.net, if you are watching over at Twitch, uh, Rumble, Clout Hub, Odyssey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Make sure you hit the like button and you subscribe so you can keep up with every episode that we uh, present to you guys uh, pretty much on the daily basis, uh, barring, you know, the four Fs or just uh, a, a, a one of those really off days, right, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Anyhow, guys, thanks for joining us tonight. We're coming in a little bit later tonight than we have uh, the previous days this week. But all good and all is well. Uh, you're just getting everything together today to get the show, the report, the stories down for you all. Oh, okay. I'm back. I'm back. All right, cool. Uh, and uh, it should be a good night. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, actually throughout the day as I was um, uh, you know, parsing through the headlines, as they say. Let it be known. I'm just not a headline reviewer, ladies and gentlemen. But as we were parsing through the headlines... Um, a lot of rabbit holes to go down to into today, right? We love our rabbit holes, right? Just like we love our Somalians. Uh, but anyhow, guys, uh, <laughs> terrible reference. I know, terrible reference. But uh, yeah, a lot of rabbit holes. Um, it's just uh, looking at all manners of quandary. You know, when you get so much information, it's just, uh, you know, curiosity perks the mind into uh, just going on to a little exploration. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's why I'm getting here a little bit late, you know. Uh, too many rabbit holes I had to dig myself out of uh, this afternoon. Uh, a lot of stuff uh, involving, you know, like um, this, the, the uh, special operations happening behind the scenes. You know, uh, really all we can do is speculate as much, ladies and gentlemen, about what's going on. But that should not be um, our main uh, our main focus, I guess you could say. Our main focus, uh, as opposed to trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes and whether or not uh, any of the rumors or uh, hopes and dreams are true, uh, our main focus should be uh, doing it ourselves and uh, definitely uh, getting out there, being involved and being active. You know, uh, yesterday uh, we covered some um, um, audit and canvassing efforts that are happening at the grassroots level. And uh, those, are, those are Americans who have the ability and the drive to get involved, you know? Uh, uh, something that I think all of us should do, no matter what part of getting involved that involves, whether that means, uh, you know, talking it up with your friends and your family and sharing links and sharing news so as to combat, you know, the legacy media out there and combat the false narratives and propaganda that they try to push on us, uh, or whether that means having your own show or podcast, or whether that means getting involved uh, more in elections and uh, or even running for office, uh, that is where we are. And I'm pretty sure that that is the general message 
that um, needed to really uh, strike this era of mankind. Because after all, uh, there, there was a pretty good apparatus, a pretty good vehicle that uh, came out of nowhere, you know, all of a sudden, and maybe it didn't come out of nowhere, right? That's another rabbit hole I was kind of fishing down in today. Uh, of course, in regards to Q, right? Uh, and uh, that, that apparatus, that uh, existence there uh, most definitely caused many people to wake up. Right, it caused a lot of people to get thinking and searching, and uh, shortly thereafter they got moving. You know, so uh, you, th- a lot of debate. And again, these are rabbit holes I was going down today. So uh, forgive me if this is a belabored type of topic. But you know, a lot of a lot of um, uh, a lot of question about uh, psyop or not, good or bad, white or black, gray or just you know rainbow colored psyop. Uh, what what the heck was going on here? It's all good, though. You know, it's all good. Whether it was a good or a bad, obviously, it was Internet Interactive Activity, right? IIA. I mean, whether we want to call it a PSYOP or not, whether we want to call it good or bad or not, whether we want to call it um, a, a CIA-driven or Mossad-driven or, or uh, you know, Northern Army of Virginia-driven, it was driven either way, you know, and uh, it, it did its job as far as I'm concerned, because it, there are so many people that are awake, aware and active now. And sure, you'll still have those who will demonize individuals who um, believed, followed and or uh, walked the path that Q might have suggested, which is do your research uh, look, 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 dig, 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 make bread, uh, you know, uh, bake it, you know, all this good stuff, present it, etc. Um, that, uh, you know, it's good enough for me, right? Good enough for me. And, and keep that in mind that uh, I didn't find about Q until way late in the game, ladies and gentlemen. By the time I found about Q, everybody was uh, censored and banned. And, uh, well, you know, we were still trying to save the children, Right. Uh, but uh, Q had already become marginalized by the lamestream, shamestream media. So, uh, yeah, just another n- another rabbit hole that I was going down uh, earlier today, among many, you know, among many uh, different types of topics that come up, you know. Um, a lot of the topics that I see coming up today, and I'll be short on this point because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, give it too much life or breath, but perhaps we'll explore it sometime. Because after all, I've always said, you know, as an awake American, as uh, someone who is, uh, you know, conscious and concerned about uh, uh, personal sovereignty, freedom, liberty, etc. Um, uh, I've always said it, we will always, I mean, every, everybody I think that watches this broadcast probably sees it the same way, I would say. You know, we are not a cult of personality, right? Uh, We do not just blindly follow our leaders. Indeed, if anybody who is in the lead, you know, should, you know, do an about face, right? Or should, you know, have uh, been discovered to be something that they're not, right? That we will always question and we will always uh, keep an open mind. Not that we're losing faith, not that we don't have, uh, you know, a certain type of um, 
a certain type of trust in those who say who they are. But you know, you know, people tell us who they are. And like I said, you know, it's up to us to uh, use our own discernment and figure out whether or not they should maintain that. And if they come off golden, well, you know what? All of their actions will speak for themselves as well as the fruit that they bear. Correct? I would say so. I would say so. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, speaking about that, as I was saying, uh, when we're talking about um, um, our leaders and those uh, to whom we trust or are endeared to, you know, uh, there's always that possibility, ladies and gentlemen, always that possibility uh, that things could change, right? And, and that's not to create a pathway forward into this reality where all of our trusted leaders turn on us and uh, every single person that is on the surface of this planet who is in a position of power, whether that's political or whether that is business or whether that's celebrity or finance, um, we're all involved in the same scheme, right? And we're all stuck in the same hot, sweaty taco of... um, (laughs) It's a hot, sweaty taco, right? I don't know about tacos that are hot and sweaty, but anyways, uh, that that is an entrapment of sorts. But I've seen a lot of information, maybe more so than I have in the past, you know, uh, regarding, regarding, you know, uh, for example, President Trump, you know, and, and a lot of questioning about, uh, you know, where he is in the game. Um, I think I've come across far too much information on that sort. And, you know, dare I say misinformation, bad information, uh, just scorned and angry information. Uh, A lot of it doesn't come out that way, you know. Uh, But perhaps we will explore that sometime because if we're going to be fair and balanced, we got to look at both sides of the coin, right? You know, we already did stories on um, our other show, See in the Dark, talking about uh, the involvement of the mob in America um, with, you know, the FBI and uh, the United States government and running honeypot um, blackmailing schemes, etc. Right. And that's not to take anything away from uh, the leadership and the advances that the Trump administration made. But, you know, it was even pointed out in there uh, about his involvement in such types of activities. Interesting enough, you know, when I tried to uh, um, publish a, uh, an image that showed uh, Trump and the mob, etc. in a picture, it wouldn't get published. But we won't even talk about what type of uh, platform that was on. But, you know, it's just to say it's only fair, you know. It's just like when I reference the Georgetown um, um, tra- uh, child sex trafficking scandal that took place over in Nebraska, right? Whenever I reference that, uh, people seem to get um, very irate and um, uncomfortable mentioning that this this happened under the Reagan administration. And, uh, you know, many, many of the articles and many of the documentaries I've seen on the subject matter say that the scandal went all the way to the top of the Reagan administration. And one thing I have to remind viewers and listeners is, A, we need to take things with a grain of salt because salt does season that which is otherwise um, un- unpalatable, right? Unpalatable <laughs> uh, to our senses. 
instances, but also because um, there's not a, a definitive um, um, a remark in, in regards to President Reagan. You know, the, the top of the Reagan administration could very well be the vice presidential office, who, as we might remember, was George Herbert Walker Bush. And everyone knows that that man was a pedophile Nazi lover and, uh, and, and just from there, guys. You know, so take it with a grain of salt. Keep an open mind. And if we were to do a foray into the supposed evidence that suggests any of our leaders, regardless of whom they are, might not be whom they appear to be, we cannot, uh, we cannot get our panties in a twist, so to speak. Uh, but it's, it's more of a protection for ourselves. Because our discernment, I think, if it is trained enough, will most definitely speak to us about the truth. And I, I'm telling you guys, maybe I'm just on the wrong video platforms, but uh, there's a lot of that going on around right now. And it makes me just wonder, you know, because um, I'm sure information as such was floating around out there between 2016 and 2020. It makes me think about uh, another broadcaster whom I have uh, um, rediscovered, I guess you could say. Now, I'm not, I don't mean rediscovered like, oh, I'm listening to this person and I believe and I hang on every word that they say because that would just be, you know, no, I run my own show. I have my own thoughts and my own ways of making connections towards, um, you know, uh, towards, uh, my own assessment, correct? Uh, but that would be that would be David Knight, uh, and I'm sure many of you guys know and recognize the name David Knight. Now, when I say I rediscover it, it's just what I mean. I I know who David Knight is. I was there when he got hired. Okay, you know, I was there before he was hired. And I saw the work that he did when he was working with Infowars. Uh, but, you know, I, I say I rediscovered because I, um, I, I located his broadcast, right? And I was like, okay, well, let's do a little bit of digging into David Knight. Let's see what he has to say. Uh, let's see what, um, uh, I honestly, I was like, I want the tea on what happened with him and Alex Jones, right? So anyway, in, very interesting. And I, I've heard so many different variations of that story uh, between, well, actually, I didn't know what happened between David Knight and Alex Jones. But, you know, as far as uh, that whole, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. It's a quagmire, basically, at this point. Uh, but anyways, you know, David Knight, it seems, is of the mind uh, that President Trump is uh, totally not who he says he is. It kind of reminds me of that other, and some of you guys might be familiar with this broadcast and or group as well. Um, um, what were they called again? Uh, Luke Radowski is the, uh, the the leader or he's the uh, founder of the group. We Are Change, right? Do you guys remember We Are Change? Oh, God. they're old, guys. We Are Change has been around for quite some time. And, and Luke Radowski of We Are Change is of the same mind, you know, that Trump is establishment and Trump is playing a scheme. A lot of them focus on President Trump's, um, uh, his, uh, his, his animus, at least as it seemed in the early uh, stages of COVID-19, uh, for getting people vaccinated, right? And they'll reference, uh, you know, a lot of his words and speeches and documentation about how he felt about um, Americans needing to be vaccinated to protect us from uh, COVID-19. 
um, genuinely manufactured uh, cousin of the flu, right? So it's interesting, guys. But, you know, uh, that's the other thing right there. You know, when we're talking about this political game here that we know that someone like President Trump is involved in, which is why I totally give him a pass on this, because, you know, as I've said several times, and we've had several members of this audience who have expressed the same concern, you know, well, I still don't understand why he promotes the vaccine. And I don't understand why this is, you know, and I get it, you know, and we've had this discussion here before. I'm only rehashing it because of my day's adventures into rabbit holes. But, um, you know, I get it, you know, like, obviously, we, we, the people, the awakened American populace understand and know what all is going on here, at least based on what we're given, you know, we're not, we're not of the mind that this is snake venom, right? Um, or I, anyways, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. But, you know, uh, speaking, speaking of the, uh, speaking of the vast percentage of uh, people in this world, on this planet and in this country alone, that still just totally loathed the man known as Donald J. Trump, uh, he couldn't necessarily uh, tell everyone the vaccine's a fake and it's going to kill you and don't take it and COVID-19 is a sham and it's nothing but a plan to, uh, you know, um, foist upon the world a great reset that will uh, basically put us into the snatches, into the into the grip of the new world order, uh, whom Herbert Walker Bush uh, perpetuated and advertised and promoted so much, you know, so it's understandable, right? Uh, it's the kind of situation where you got to kind of wait and see, you know, um, what is going to happen. You can't really just jump the gun on a situation like that, right? It's it's like if President Trump had come out of the gates on day one and said, uh, the Federal Reserve Central Bank is destroying our economy. And, and you know, he just ran with that story. Do you know how many people um, because they're so um, used to the status quo of being a debt slave, um, would fight him to maintain uh, paying their income tax, and they would fight him just because they don't like him to keep the IRS around and in existence. They would be saying that President Trump is such a stupid dictator. He's trying to take away our ability to pave our streets. He's trying to take away education from kids because without the income tax, we can't pay for schools. He's trying to take away our protection because without the income tax, we can't pay the police or the fire department while they don't even know that the income tax does not go to any of that. But they would still feel, you know, that uh, that that uh, self-importance of knowing they stood up for civic duty and society just by opposing Trump. And that's the situation we're in. That's why, in my opinion, Trump had to say something about the vaccines and he had to say something about uh, uh, or keep quiet about what COVID-19 uh, genuinely manufactured cousin of the flu was was really all about, you know. Uh, so that's, but then you have the other side of the camp, right? That's talking about, uh, how everything that president Trump did just knocked down the establishment, knocked down the uh, deep state, knocked down the globalist and all of their efforts to chain us to their, uh, end game plans. And that's kind of the camp I fall into. 
Uh, but again, you know, I'm finding articles that are talking about, uh, you know, um, um, the Insurrection Act and uh, what is the other thing? The Presidential Emergency Action uh, Orders or something like that, PEDS or PEDS, or, I don't know what it's called. I can't remember. My, my brain is pretty fried from doing all that today. Um, but interesting, interesting topics, guys. And, you know, I think, um, I think it behooves us to look at both sides of the coin if we really say who we say we are, if we really believe in what we believe in. Um, and that is, of course, you know, uh, lovers of sovereignty and freedom, liberty, uh, those who are striving to restore some type of resemblance of the rule of law by way of restoring the republic and, you know, the, the future progression and livelihood of our heirs and the rest of those to follow us. You know, we have to look at both sides of the coin. That is common sense, ladies and gentlemen. We can't just, you know, uh, be stuck in one paradigm or on one side of the fence without considering uh, the um, uh, the other side of it. And I think that actually would benefit us more because uh, if you look back at uh, history of the United States of America within the last two or three decades, right? And this is where the pragmatists come in. This is where those who think pragmatically based on experience and what they have seen and what the patterns have been and the way it has always been, they will tell you every single time we've had someone, you know, uh, they just, uh, it's always business as usual and it always ends up the same way. So how can you trust even someone who comes across as totally anti-globalist uh, just blowing the establishment off their feet. How can you trust them? And I get it and I respect it. And, you know, I don't judge it, even though sometimes it makes me feel a certain way. Um, and that's only because it's a direct, you know, affront to, you know, what I feel and believe, which is why I might feel a certain way. But it's still a valid point. You know, it's still a valid point. Uh, we've had so many scenarios in uh, beyond our lifetime uh, within the last uh, half a decade, I mean, half a century uh, or more where we've seen this type of thing happen, you know? I think we're just most definitely fortunate that no matter how united these globalist um, entities seem, no matter how united even like the Democrat Party seems, right? They still can't get their story straight. You know, they just know they're united on one front, uh, you know, opposing Donald Trump or opposing anything conservative, right? We're not even going to say, we're not even going to say opposing Republican because at this point, while I recognize that individuals like, you know, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, or even like Ron Paul, right, ran on a Republican ticket, even though they were either more libertarian or constitutional, etc., you know, ran on that ticket because they realized only by infiltrating the Republican Party could they get their message across on a bigger platform because the two arms of the same WWE wrestler um, um, were uh, ultimately against any third party, uh, you know, um, uh, I, understanding that, uh, it's like, well, uh, that that is what it was. But uh, we're not going to talk Republican because we know that they are uh, one of the arms, the right arm, apparently, of the same bird, the same wrestler. I like using the wrestler as an analogy because, obviously... <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't say two, the same two wings of the same bird, right? Same wings on the same bird. No, I didn't say that. I, the same two arms of the same wrestler, right? Um, 
It's well, you know, I should stop uh, promoting the franchise of WWE because they've already admitted it all to be, you know, um, fake. But it, it, that's that's besides the point. The point of the matter here is. The point of the matter here is that we're talking about uh, the infiltration of that, etc. Uh, let's get back on task. You know, um, uh, the Democrats uh, are very united against that, right? But they they just don't seem to keep their story straight. I think, I think probably the best example of that. And I don't know if this is going to hurt them. You would think it would. I mean, people like us obviously would recognize right off the bat. Oh, they're they're messing up again. They're 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 uh, laughing connivingly into the microphone like illegitimate Joe talking about the Kleppers, the Kleppers who just keep on uh, taking. Do you guys remember Edith <laughs> Edith Bunker? I'm a Klepper. <laughs> That's what she said, right? That's what she said. She she uh, poor Edith. Everyone knows she wasn't a klepper anyways. Okay, well, you know, I'm surprised that illegitimate Joe didn't call Putin a klepper today whenever he was trying to use, uh, you know, uh, five-syllable words that just couldn't get past his throat. But, hey, 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 klepper. <laughs> anyways, guys. Okay, you know, they can't keep their story together. A good example, I'm sure you guys all caught this one as well, has to do with this man here, right? Uh, you know, he, uh, he, he said so many things, right? And a lot of people want to call you know, Fauci a liar, you know, and uh, the shoe fits with Fauci, most definitely. The shoe does fit, okay? Uh, we, we could most definitely say this man is a liar, but I just think, honestly, it's, it's a little bit deeper than lying, you know, when we're, we're talking about Fauci. We're talking about someone who has uh, been trying to pass off Desmavir as uh, one of the uh, cure-alls for not just COVID-19, but w there was like, what, uh, two or three other diseases or sicknesses, illnesses that he tried to pawn remdesivir off on as the savior drug. Um, I, whatever, however much money he spent into uh, concocting that remdesivir, um, I, I guess it was a lot. And he's probably got a lot stockpiled in like several warehouses he needs to get rid of. Uh, and it's just not working for him, ladies. I mean, we almost lost that battle, you know, about the deadliness of remdesivir with Dr. Artis. And he, you know, I mean, he also just about lost his credibility. He 100% lost his credibility for me. Uh, but I think for the rest of the um, awake Americans out there, the Patriot movement, however you want to refer yourself to as, they didn't take to that story quite well. You know, they didn't take to that story quite well. But we're not talking about artists. You know, I don't even want, I don't even want his name in my mouth, ladies and gentlemen. So bleh, get out of there, artists. But, uh, you know, Fauci, Frouchy, as some of you say, disco ball chaser, Frouchy, Frouchy, who sounds like Danny DeVito, anyways. <laughs> Fauci says, <laughs> Fauci says, uh, Aurelius Slug, what's going on, guys? Hey, Liz Garcia, how are you doing tonight? Uh, Aurelius Locke, sorry, I got caught up in my own, uh, my own little, um, whatchamacallit, uh, rant there. Aurelion, good evening, 170 gold pills, thank you. Hi there, 123SKG, good evening, and Aurelius Locke, good to see ya. False chi, you don't want that kind of chi, right? That's not a good chi, this Fauci, fraud chi, a fauci. <laughs> but, you know, uh, this, this peddler of deadly uh, drugs, ladies and gentlemen, this, uh, this, uh, this killer of gay cancer patients, right? <laughs> this, this, um, this, uh, this uh, prevailer of HIV and AIDS in once healthy people, Frouchy. 
This man for, all, who, for whom all we know did actually use snakes to create the mRNA uh, uh, serum uh, used in these vaccinations, right? I never said that the snake stuff wasn't true. I just said every all of the other omissions and lies that that man peddled. Um, you know, and I just got to say, I just got to say, um, uh, having gone over, uh, some of Stu Peter's stuff since then, uh, damage control, right? Even, even artists, uh, post interviews after watch the water, we are Q came out, uh, damage control. Like, uh, uh, let me tell you what, if, if everything that you said was to be true and believed, do, do would you really have to do a damage control tour? on every single network and answer questions that pe would there even be those questions that people are asking him about what about this what about that you know anyways anyways i'm just saying i'm just saying guys i'm just saying a damage control tour is not the kind of tour you do post you know uh, a brown great uh, brown ground breaking earth shattering documentary right it should be more of a uh, um it should be more of a um a tour that really uh, relishes in and uh, furthers the information not corrects the information anyways damage control over there anyways anyways okay let's talk stop talking about that i just uh I, yeah i just you know i'm just uh, it's we're done with these fake operations. Anyways, so Fauci and his fake operation, right? And how, um, how disjointed uh, the uh, left is in their unity, right? Because they're all united against America, but they are totally disjointed in regards to their plan of action, right? Uh, we're, we're seeing the breaks and the cracks. We had this entire thing uh, where Fauci came out and said that the pandemic is over, right? And, and here's where we're talking about the disconnect, because it used to be that we relied on Dr. Fauci to tell us what was going on with the pandemic and how deadly it was and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, wear your mask, et cetera. And then it was we had to rely on what the CDC said, and keeping in mind that these are, you know, both two unelected bureaucratic entities, Right. Um, and uh, it, it, the CDC says this and based on the C and from the CDC, it kind of volleyed over to the WHO, the World Health Organization. Right. And it did that for a few months. Right. Between the WHO and the CDC and whatever the WHO said, it was because the CDC recommended, etc. As if, though, I guess, you know, um, uh, c uh, coronavirus 19 started in the United States of America. Well, you know what? I guess technically speaking, it might have had its birth origins in the United States of America, somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, but anyhow, and now apparently we don't listen to either Fauci or the CDC. And anyone in my audience was have not been listening to these two entities for a long time, right? Uh, the hypocrisy, uh, the, the broken uh, chain of custody, no, the broken, <laughs> the broken chain of uh, uh, management here is becoming very evident and very obvious. And uh, apparently now we listen to Circleback Saki about uh, whether or not COVID is still a pandemic or I'm sure they'll be asking Circleback Saki, you know, whether or not uh, masks should be required, whether we should go back to uh, uh, six feet of separation and uh, whether or not uh, we should just go back into lockdown. Right. The White House now commands uh, that. And, and so that was something I guess Fauci had to walk back on right recently. 
uh, talking about how these guys, uh, and I, I really chiefly believe that they are where they are right now because they are not where they planned to be right now. And these guys don't know, or they're too lazy to uh, revise and rewrite their script and their playbook. You know, they're like, the, the, the playbook never said anything about Trump winning and destroying almost everything we've done in four years. The playbook never said anything about, uh, about an Operation Warp Speed that would uh, force a uh, cure or force uh, force an aid against coronavirus. We were supposed we were supposed to have the world locked down for five years and then shift them into, you know, and then shift them into the Great Reset by 2021. That's what was supposed to happen. You know, everyone would have been so scared and dying and wearing the mask for four years straight under Hillary Clinton while we also initiated a war with Russia. That way we could take out that world power. And, you know, we, we can't do it if we have at least one or two world powers opposing the Great Reset. Everyone else was on board or we just kill them with the coronavirus, right? Because in those four or five years prior to the Great Reset with the coronavirus under a Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, presidency, obviously they would have been doing all all their variants, right? They tried their variants. It didn't work. You know, no one is, no one is, uh, you know, believing and or falling for that. You know, even those who are uh, half asleep or fully asleep are they're like, yeah, don't, don't bother me with this coronavirus. Like, I'm trying to sleep here, you know, inflation, right? You know, they're whatever, you know, they're, they're, whether they choose to be awake or not, somewhere in their subconscious they are, right? And they just want to sleep, so don't bother them with the coronavirus because inflation is what's bugging them right now, right? Because they can't, uh, they can't do all and be all with uh, the money that they once had because that money's not there anymore. And, you know, under a pandemic, they could, they could deal without having money because they either A, had an essential job or B, they were getting paid by the government to live at home. You know, so that was fine for them. You know, they're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on how many children they had and what state they lived in. But uh, under inflation, that's a bit of a bother because, you know, now they just can't seem to afford the things that they used to be able to afford. And, you know, they can't even go on a Sunday cruise day session with the the radio blasting like they used to do back in the day, right? Uh, Because it's too expensive to go cruising. You know, it's too expensive to even drive. Drive around uh, town because you got nothing else to do. Yeah, I used to drive around and just you know, drive because I w- had nothing to do back when I had a car back when I was younger, you know. And uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that now, right? Even just to, to to blow some steam off, you know. Even just to go see the sights, it's far more expensive to drive now than it is to you know take a family to a theme park or something like that. It's it's, it's comparable, you know. So they can't do that. So definitely the inflation is waking these people up, right? Uh, so they can't be bothered with COVID-19 and what circle back Saki says. They, they just cannot be bothered, you know? And uh, so, uh, you know, we have this whole big thing coming out now. But uh, did any of you guys happen to catch this one by any chance? Speaking of their disjointed battle plans, speaking of their uh, hypocrisy. Oh, did we mention hypocrisy? Okay, this one is kind of to be expected. Okay, to kind of to be expected. Article comes out today. Hundreds of CDC employees have not even received their COVID-19 mRNA gene therapy sessions. Really? 
Really, CDC? Now, this is kind of what we've been waiting for. It's, it's right there on top of how many elected officials in Washington, D.C. used hi uh, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin so as not to get sick with COVID-19. Uh, clearly, you know, uh, someone like Maxine Waters would have been fine and never have gotten COVID-19, but alas, she took her shots. So I guess, you know, you'll get your shots, you get your booster, you get COVID-19. Your body's a, uh, your body's a COVID-19 factory. So I guess that's all there is to that. Uh, Miss Waters, Maxine, but, uh, let's check this out. Cause this is, this is again, it goes to the hypocrisy, you know, and, and again, it's a big old red flag out there when we're talking about, uh, the fakeness of this entire scheme and ploy and plot against the people of the world, right? Uh, CDC employees do not even have their COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, I would have to ask, you know, before I get into the article, why is it that everyone was forced to get their vaccine under duress of losing their job, but the CDC does not have those standards? Oh, it must be because the CDC needs to make sure that they have their, um, their employees healthy and happy and not with COVID. Uh, and so they told them not to get their vaccines. They didn't force them to get their vaccines. We have hundreds of thousands of doctors and nurses and medical staff that have just totally been um, um, demonized and cast aside and, and taken away from their ability to uh, keep themselves above water. And yet the CDC does not even force the insane, insane mandates against their own employees. This is something that people should, again, uh, use as a bit of ammunition or be up at arms. If I were a medical employee and I lost my job because I was not going to take these vaccines and I haven't, um, I would be irate that they whom we were to look to and trust did not do the same thing to their own employees, right? I mean, even the military is going through this, guys, and yet uh, the CDC doesn't have to. Like, uh, who gave them their their um, their excuse not to take these uh, th their waiver not to take the shots? I'm not saying that they should have, but the fact that they didn't, and the fact that the CDC didn't enforce this. Uh, says a lot about the situation. Nearly 400 employees at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have not received a COVID-19 vaccine, according to data obtained by the Epoch Times. This is exclusive. A total of 382 workers at the CDC are unvaccinated, Roger Ando, a Freedom of Information Act officer at the agency, told the Epoch Times. Another nine employees have had just had one dose of the Pfizer or Moderna, Moderna vaccines, meaning they also don't qualify as fully vaccinated per the CDC's guidelines. Collectively, the number is 3.2% of the CDC's workforce. Ando initially pointed to a statement from the government that contained data as of December 21st and declined to fully answer the Epoch Times FOIA request, which asked for more detailed figures that were current as of March 15th. Please note that this is the most recent and most complete data available and some data elements that you are requesting are not available, Ando said initially. When asked to clarify, another CDC officer repeated Ando's statement. After the Epoch Times filed an appeal to the Department of Health and Human Services, the CDC's parent agency, the office changed um, its stance without explaining why. 
After an additional search, we are providing you with the following information. The response I got to your appeal from CDC gave me the impression they did not mean to withhold any information in the first place. Jonathan Nelson, a FOIA analyst with HHS, told the Epoch Times. But based on that, my personal belief is that this was just an accidental omission on their part. Sure, it was an accidental omission. In addition to revealing that 391 employees were not fully vaccinated, the CDC said that 12,399 were fully vaccinated, meaning that they had received two doses of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines or the single-shot Johnson & Johnson jab. Additionally, 5,810 employees shared that they had received a booster dose, although the agency stressed that employees don't have to say whether they've had a booster. The CDC also disclosed that the agency had granted zero requests for exemption to President Joe Biden's federal worker vaccine mandate, which is poised to take effect on May 31st after a months-long suspension due to a court ruling. Mm-hmm. So isn't that interesting? You know, if the CDC had zero uh, requests for exemption, that means that they were not enforcing, they were not enforcing vaccine mandates. They were not harassing their employees. They were not forcing them to get a a, a test every week until they got their shots, right? We're going to jab this up your nose or up your, your, your keister until you get a vaccine, right? Like they were doing to the people in the hospital, like they're doing at several, um, um, several employees, at several jobs across the board, uh, here in the States, guys, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty sick. If they had zero requests for vac for exemption, that means that there was zero duress. There was a zero uh, harassment. There was no expectation of their employees to get the shot. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's the way I would read that. Zero requests means no one was afraid for their life or afraid for their livelihood to get the shots. That's, that's pretty crazy if you ask me. It's, it's downright hypocritical. The CDC's media office did not reply when asked what would happen to unvaccinated workers who don't have an exemption and why no exemptions had been granted. The data was current as of April 12th, 2022. Yep. So there you go, guys. I mean, come on. Come on. I would be irate, ladies and gentlemen, of the hypocrisy that is being uh, being found here, guys. But anyways... I don't know. Uh, just a, just a, a brief foray into uh, my thoughts for today. I also spent uh, spent uh, some time uh, catching up with uh, from viewer and audience mail. So uh, thank you all, everyone who sends me messages, whether it's by email or by pilled. Um, you can always contact me directly uh, over at pilled.net. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a direct messaging. I, I mean, I check that quite frequently, but I still apologize uh, if it takes me a bit of a while to respond. Uh, and then, and of course, by email, uh, the C report at protonmail.com. Um, always open and available, and I respond as quickly as I can. But I apologize if that response is um, delayed, ladies and gentlemen. So I was also doing that today, aside going down rabbit holes, etc. Uh, but a good show for tonight, guys. Uh, we will, uh, w- <laughs> the stories we got for you uh, co- coming around, formed around a couple of statements from President Trump. 
And then, of course, uh, yesterday, again, we were talking a lot about election fraud and election integrity efforts. So we'll kind of put a bow on that tonight. I wanted to share with you guys some information into the Indiana um, grassroots canvas of the 2020 election. A lot of people don't know that Indiana has been involved in this type of work. Um, where it will go from the canvas, uh, we don't know yet. You know, I mean, obviously they have to uh, file these reports with their representatives and their senators or with the courts. And then, you know, they take it from there. And, and that seems to be the next step uh, in a lot of these, um, a lot of these um, investigations or canvases, you know, they have to get a hearing, they have to schedule, they have to get a day in court on the docket, etc. They have to get lawyers, they need support, etc, etc, etc. But good to know that Indiana is another state and uh, their findings were right on. Let's not let's not forget Indiana is also home of one of the bellwether counties that uh, always, always predicts the winner of, uh, you know, the elections going back uh, like a century or more, right? Bellwether, right? Uh, that's Vigo County, Indiana. And, and of course, Vigo County, uh, uh, County, Indiana uh, found Trump to be the winner. And uh, well, uh, <laughs> it was totally, totally uh, in opposition to what uh, they found. Uh, interesting information on that as well, coming from those who canvassed their state in Indiana about some possible shenanigans that happened the morning of the elections in, as far as Vigo County goes. And it makes me wonder if that type of, uh, that type of activity was not um, similar in all Bellwether counties. Well, it was all but one or two, right? Um, uh, missed the mark in 2020 for, uh, for electing the president, right? So uh, interesting stuff that we'll take a bit of a look at that and uh, we will wrap up tonight's show with part two of the uh, President Trump P.S. Morgan interview. I know all of y'all are dying to see it, right? Everyone just wants to see Piers Morgan, right? Well, you know, part two of the interview, which I guess since uh, Piers Morgan's uh, shot at a, uh, a ratings hit uh, was smacked down when President Trump released that uh, uh, audio track of about what really happened during the interview. I guess he had to separate it into uh, into uh, you know two episodes, right? And he had to uh, he had to um, uh, provide commentary the whole way through. I guess for whatever purpose that was. Liz Garcia says, Mr. C, do you think President Trump will run again? Well, you know, because of election finance laws, Liz Garcia, I can't answer that question. But what I will say is, I think you'll be very happy, right? Just <laughs> Just, I kid, I kid. Uh, Miss Liz Garcia, I am of the mind that President Trump is still the president. Uh, so I don't believe he needs to run again in 2024, but I do believe that that option is open uh, just in case uh, we Americans don't get awake enough and active enough to bring it before 2024. Like, he can't make a move until we get our, our, our act in gear, okay? And uh, we get uh, as much exposure about the fraud out there and we get as many people awake or at least somewhere near there so that they can stomach a return of his presidency. And, you know, I believe that the uh, illegitimate Joe um, regime is doing good enough of a job at that, right? Uh, I believe that the uh, lamestream 
mainstream, shamestream, uh, false flag, legacy, mockingbird, propaganda media is doing good enough of a job at proving who they are based on everything that's happening uh, currently that uh, there may be uh, at least a, at least at minimum highest enough of a percentage to make the move, right? Which is to uh, bring Joe down, bring Kamala down, and um, uh, bring President Trump back is kind of what I think, you know. Um, uh, I've always been of the mind, although there is nothing in the front to prove it, right? I walk by faith and I try and, uh, I try and um, um, uh, work on actions that reflect that as much as possible, as much as I can, right? Um, so, um, and I'm just of the mind that, you know, that uh, there are things happening behind the scenes that we do not or cannot know. But most definitely, um, if we are not there to receive the baton when they're ready to hand it off to us, okay, um, it, it won't be what we want it to be. And then he will have to run again in 2024. You know, he will have to run again. You know, it'd be, it'd be interesting if he could come back this year, right? Uh, but a lot of people have been saying he'd be back, uh, you know, and... April of 2021 and then August of 2021 and then before Christmas. Oh, it's going to be a white Christmas, right? And then, you know, well, here we are today. So rather than focusing in on dates, uh, just in case, you know, the ball lands on 55 red on the roulette table and we end up winning the lottery and, and looking like, oh, he predicted that, right? That's I don't care about that, right? I don't care about that. At this point, it's all about uh, getting as much as close to the accurate information out that I can share with what, whatever analysis I can provide, uh, but but more about making sure that we are uh, of of the understanding that it's it's it is up to us. You know, at the end of the day, Q, the military, President Trump cannot save us if uh, we are not already actively in the fight. Okay, uh, we have to save ourselves. Uh, we have to restore our republic. Uh, because after all, it is of the people, for the people, and by the people. So that means the people are the ones that need to do it. And of course, we don't mean uh, inciting violence and storming state houses. Uh, we mean being actively engaged in that civic duty and that love of our country that would prompt us to do so, right? And we actually have a story tonight that reflects that. Uh, in fact, you know, actually all of the stories that we share about, you know, election integrity and canvassing, that is exactly the example of what we're talking about. Uh, when we're talking about, uh, you know, the election of um, audits and fraud cases that are going before the courts, that's exactly what we're talking about. They're perfect examples of the people getting involved in restoring the Republic, right? They're filing lawsuits, they're filing affidavits, you know, they're running for office. Uh, they're, they're, they're taking over the state house by way of election. They're taking over the school boards. They're taking over the city uh, council positions. That is what we have to do because we have to be engaged and activated and aware. Otherwise we're gonna end up exactly where we are or were which is, you know, uh, we, we, we give up our uh, responsibility and we give up our, we, we totally uh, absolve our, we wash our hands of what happens in every day-to-day -day life. And we give that over to those whom we elected because we trust, right? I think that's a quality that humans have. I think, I think humans are good-natured 
you know, just naturally speaking, and they learn other things, right? They learn other ways of existence. I think that's just me, though. I mean, I'm sure some people are just like, no, there are evil people out there. There are evil people out there. Uh, but we saw, and I would, I would, I would admit some people are born evil, but I don't think many are born evil, right? I don't think many are. I think most of us are, you know, a born good, right? And we want good, right? It's just a question of uh, environment and, uh, you know, upbringing and, uh, and influence at the end of the day. And so it's not our faults, really. I mean, let's not forget the system is designed that way, right? The system is designed to make us so tired and jaded from our day-to-day life that we don't care about politics or city government. We'll trust them to do it. But while we were sleeping, they were destroying our country and taking away our rights and encaging our sovereignty so that we're no longer sovereign, just on paper, all right? just on paper. So it behooves us to be involved. And uh, again, every time we talk about, uh, you know, any of the efforts, particularly about the elections in 2020, that's all grassroots. That's all the people. You don't see how many rhinos do you see up there who are leading the charge, right? And how many rhinos do you see up there who are, um, uh, are taking a moment to reflect on the work of their citizens, okay? Not many, right? How many people in the state of Michigan elected representatives said, look at what they're doing in Antrim County and took the reports of Antrim County and gave it to the state house to their peers to consider the findings. I would say zero because, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, shortly after the Antrim County forensic audit had uh, worked its way into dismissal and appeal, in the state of Michigan, the Michigan Senate released a report that said, oh, nothing, nothing to see here. It's all good. It's all good. So that says a lot. Okay. And that should say a lot to the people of any state or all states and and, in our, whether it's federal or whether it is state house about exactly where these people whom our elected officials are. And so the people taking it back, the citizens, that's us. And we have to be involved. Uh, we, we can no longer be passive when it comes to um, how our government and how our lives are run. We can no longer be passive. Uh, the, the founding fathers knew that it would take an active and engaged populace in order to maintain a republic such as which they formed when they uh, created and had the idea of these United States of America. Point blank period, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so let's get into tonight's report. Looks like uh, we got uh, a few of the friends hanging out tonight over there at uh, Foxhole and Pilled. Uh, Let's just see what you guys are saying real quick before we jump in. Uh, Aurelius Locke, synthetic venom proteins and peptides wrapped in nanoparticles, Kofefe. Let's not start the Kofefe thing again. Wait, is that COVID Fifi? No, uh, what what would Kofefe mean? Um, Peptide wrapped in nanoparticles uh, that block up your um, nicotine receptors. I don't know, you know, Kofefe. All right. Uh, I'm sorry, but I just, you know, I I know Kofefe could be, what was that? Iron minerals and some other minerals or something like that. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't follow that one. All I know is about, um, you know, the, the law called Kofefe, right? There's, there is a bill in the house called Kofefe. 
We've talked about this before at the Sea Report. Come on, Kofefe. It was uh, it was an internet bill that um, modified the retention of um, presidential records to include anything that the president in, um, posted on social media, thereby retaining all of President Trump's tweets, etc. So they couldn't just delete them and they couldn't just get rid of them, but they were now submitted to the official presidential record. Kofefe, that's the one that I... I think is uh, the most genuine and the most actual meaning of Kofefe. That's just me, though. I mean, you, you guys can believe whatever Kofefe. If you believe it's the best new coffee, go for it. If you think it is an iron mineral that has something to do with COVID-19, awesome. As for me, the Kofefe bill that's, you know, documented and on paper and uh, has an actual meaning with an actual existing um, <laughs> definition that's the one I'll go with, guys. That's the one I'll go with, guys. Uh, but awesome, guys. Okay, uh, Jen Saki Puppet. Oh, Socket Sock Puppet E. <laughs> Aurelius, you are awesome. Um, one two three SKG says I've listened to Doctor Artists on other shows. I am keeping an open mind about his information. He is making a hypothesis which will need. More analysis and proof. Uh, that's exactly, you know, where I stand. Uh, well, I, I might be a little bit just outside that thought, 123SKG, because let's face it, um, if, if he needs to expand and develop his hypothesis, why the hell did he, and I don't mean to cuss at you, but why the heck did he put out this documentary? Right? I mean... Why would why would you create a? It, it's just like what like the the half dozen articles that we read by peers of his and and those whom also are anti uh, um, COVID nineteen vaccination and who are uh, um, uh, almost of the mind that COVID nineteen well, they're also all one hundred percent of the mind that COVID nineteen was created in a lab right his peers. Uh, who they said the same thing. They're like, it's, it's a great hypothesis, but I think you should have developed it more before you came out like a four alarmist sensationalist, uh, a snake oil salesman that's just trying to uh, trick the awake Americans into uh, following your Pied Piper path off the cliff like a Judas goat. Um, because let's face it, guys, uh, we stand to lose a lot if we were to have gone down that path. Why do you think Dark Maga became a thing? Because uh, uh, Operation Fake Venom um, in the water didn't work. So we, we got to move over to Operation MAGA, Dark MAGA. Um, I, I mean, he really stood to discredit himself and, and, and hurt, his, uh, hurt his information, which uh, was accurate about remdesivir. I mean, come on. You know, uh, like I said, unless he was threatened or bought out because they're like, well, this is the guy that said crap about remdesivir and exposed it. Uh, we need to get him on our side. Let's let's uh, let's put him on an operation to discredit himself, and then we can push remdesivir, which I think actually makes a whole lot more sense, considering that remdesivir is like you know the 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 baby of uh, you know Doctor Frouchy, you know. Anyhow, guys, very dangerous psyop mind warfare, and I think uh. Regardless of how dangerous it was, I think we're also fortunate that we were able to see it, right? Their lame attempt at uh, controlling our minds and our beliefs based on uh, things that we believe in, like Q and uh, Jesus and God. It, it was a pretty weak attempt. It was a pretty weak attempt. It failed. It flopped. It was a big old flop. 
So I could keep an open mind, but I just don't. Uh, I, I, to, to me, the fact that artist still needs to uh, uh, form his hypothesis and prove it uh, means that he, the man should never have released that documentary. And that, in my opinion, um, he, there was other intentions. There were other intentions. In fact, I can't even look at a Stu Peters segment without seeing right through him. Stu Peters, in my opinion, he has no clothes. Like, he's totally naked and exposed now. Um, and I'm just saying that because I have tried to look at some of his stuff since then. And I just, I, I just, it does, it, he does not look the same anymore. Like, he's totally naked. And I, it's acting, you know, it's bounty hunter, you know, uh, rapping acting, you know, or, or at least it's, as good as what that stuff was. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving right along. Um, Aurelia, oh, hey, MacGyver, what's going on? Good to see you in the audience. Uh, Aurelia says, the research is good. The conflations, uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. The research was there. The speculation, the conflation, the sensationalism, that's, uh, come on. I mean, I would just imagine that people in the field would be more careful about that, right? They would be more careful in the intent. just, there's some other intention there. So, you know, uh, it is what it is. Hey, Liz Garcia, thank you for gifting the phone. And I'm so glad you're here as well tonight, ma'am. It's good to see you as always, sweetie. Um, let's see here. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com. That's www.thecreport.com. And be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Hill.net. Um, which is the right thing to do? And that would be piggybacking on 123SKG's comments that he's sending his research to other doctors who have expertise in the field. You know, there was another, uh, oh crap, hold on. I think I need to reset my clock. Uh, there was another publication. I forget who it was. It might've been Red State Media or it might've been, I, I don't remember who it was. It was one of those. And uh, they had a, they had a headline and I say headline, not an article. They had a headline that read, um, Discovered the um, patents for the patents for venom uh, venom research and uh, uh, anyways it, it said it proves what Stu Peters was saying that there are government patents for medical you know um, discoveries devices. Look what this is. There was there's nothing in the article. It was I think it was a video, but. Um, uh, that, you know, people like many of the doctors I saw that, you know, who uh, or scientists and doctors who kind of talked 
about their opinions on that documentary. It's been known for how many years that uh, research involving venom and and creating uh, you know medicines and using machines and extraction techniques. I mean, all of that's been known. I mean, just because there are patents for it doesn't prove that the government was trying to kill people with snake venom or that you know COVID nineteen is snake venom or that remdesivir is you know snake venom. It is. It doesn't. Now, what I really think is that they probably did use snake venom in creating or gain of functioning, you know, the coronavirus team. And um, uh, knowing that could be helpful to fighting it versus if it came from a bat or a pig or an armadillo, you know. Uh, so uh, there's that. There's that. Um, but uh, um, he, why didn't he send his research to the doctors before he made the documentary? Like, that's the kind of thing you got to get down airtight, hermetically sealed, compact, with no error before, you know, you go sensationalizing it. But at least there was another there, there was another show or program or I don't know, live streamer. And they were of this mind. I mean, at least I'm not going here. They were like, Stu Peters is a fake and a fraud and a shield and a paid operative. Just look at all of his videos and guests. Stu Peters actually plays all of his guests. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> They're like, just take a look. Every time Stu Peters has a guest on his show, it's actually Stu Peters in a mask and makeup. And I was like, excuse me? I was like, are you trying to make the people who doubt Stu Peters look even dumber or what? Like, <laughs> that was funny. I was like, this guy is clearly off his rocker. Anyways, um, MacGyver says the administration is trying to empower the CDC. Yeah, well, you know, you're, you, you got a good point there, MacGyver, because after all, the CDC is still of the mind that everyone needs to be, like, locked up and uh, sealed, you know. They're trying to empower the unelected bureaucracies, right, That probably to just uh, condition us into accepting non-elected officials into making um, decisions about our life and where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Huh. Exactly, says uh, Aurelius Locke. Again, on the heels of 123SKG, I think he is passionate about the topic and does not have enough in the way of primary sourcing. Exactly. He was excited about discovering something, wanted everything to connect, and saw things out of confirmation bias rather than proof. So you're saying he shot his wad too soon. Is <laughs> I can agree with that, but at what expense, right? And I get really, you know, mama, papa bear about these types of things, right? Uh, and uh, and so that's why I go so hard, right? That's why I go so hard because they should know better, okay? They should know better because if you're, you're shooting your wad off early, it's like putting out a bad product. And guys, trust me, I've done that in the past. You know, like I, I, I've published books that were ill edited and not revised and it did not turn out well for me. So I'm just saying, I am just saying, okay. Uh, you guys are great sports and I love you in the audience, guys. I love you on the audience. Ha, early, quit picking on the rhinos. They're perfectly innocent. Re? Re peach yourself. Ah, no, just kidding. I don't know. What does re mean? Anyways, okay. So awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Very good. All right, guys. We got to get on with tonight's show. We got to get on with tonight's show. We're going to be here until midnight. If we don't do it. Hey, Bubbles, what's going on? What's going on, Bubbles? What is going on? 
Good to see you in the audience, ma'am. Bless you, Disco Ball Chaser. Um, let's see here. <laughs> Anyways, okay, let's get on. Okay, let's get on with the show, guys. Let's get on with the show. Okay, so uh, we got a couple of President Trump statements and information to cover today. Um, let's start with President Trump's first statement, which actually is coming to quite. Uh, it's 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 coming as quite a surprise to many individuals. And I gotta say, I was also surprised. Uh, when I read this here statement and endorsement, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's throwing some people for a loop. It, you know, it's 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 throwing a wrench in the game. It's we're talking about looking at both sides of the coin, you know, uh, in my opening. And we're talking about, you know, people who are saying X, Y and Z about Trump and him not being who he is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that uh, I have said in the past, recently, that as we move uh, closer to uh, restoring our republic and reaching our goal, that the people that we know and trust are just going to start doing things that are just a little bit out of character or a little bit funny or a little bit just off color. And we're going to kind of be like, what are they thinking? Or like, why would they do that? You know, like, why would Senator Ron Johnson want to force his nose into John Durham's investigation? His nose does not belong there. Right. So, um, you know, uh, you, you know, like uh, Dr. Oz is kind of like a little bit of a stretch, right? We're like, okay, you know, maybe because uh, when you get down to the percentage rate of whether or not Dr. Oz will win his election just based on his name, and uh, maybe Trump and his administration are playing the figures game, right? Uh, Dr. Oz has a pretty good chance percentage wise of winning that election. So let's endorse him right? They want to endorse winners, okay? J.D. Vance, who is a well-known uh, anti-Trumper and turned a leaf over, okay, great for redemption, great for, you know, um, forgiveness, but uh, still, you know, uh, people have to prove themselves, right? Uh, but to get an endorsement of Sheriff Lombardo of um, Las Vegas, Clark County, Nevada, to me, that's quite a stretch, ladies and gentlemen. That is quite a stretch. Um, this man has, uh, there's a lot of question about this man. I mean, do we need to get into the uh, Las Vegas uh, shooting that occurred on uh, eight, October 1st of um, uh, some year that I'm quite not cognizantly remembrative of? And everything that happened then, you know, and then as well. I mean, there are a lot of people who are turning their head and like, what? Uh, he he endorsed Sheriff Lombardo, like the man who is known to have uh, taken all of the money that was given to uh, support the families and the investigation into what happened in Las Vegas. It causes one to question, ladies and gentlemen. And then, you know, if you want to take the optimistic point of view on this endorsement, you know, um, you could go again to the, the halls of redemption and forgiveness, or, or you can say this is a, a political strategy, right? I've been one to say that uh, President Trump has involved individuals quite questionable, whether they were warmongers or rhinos or, you know, whether they were um, um, obviously war hawks or, or neocons in his administration. 
because he was a keeping uh, people close to him. B, he was ill advised or C, you know, um, uh, that was uh, the best choice at exposure uh, to what the uh, operations of the deep state and the globalists were doing within our government. But uh, at this stage in the game, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one one's going to have to a lot of have a lot of faith. Right. Um, because this this, in my opinion, is a very questionable endorsement. Uh, we have trusted and we have already verified Lombardo, haven't we? Is there is there some new piece of shiny information about Lombardo and whether or not he will be uncorrupt as governor of Nevada and whether or not uh, he will indeed um, uh, follow the ideas of uh, restoring our republic, America first type things? Do we have any, is there any information out there to suggest that? Uh, there is a, um, a reasonable, logical explanation for why he would receive an endorsement from President Trump other than the numbers game, you know, other than the numbers game. Um, let's take a look at uh, the statement from President Trump. Okay. All right, President Trump, you're really calling our faith into question. I don't say that blasphemously, but uh, endorsement of Joe Lombardo. Okay, here we go, guys. Get ready. Sheriff Joe Lombardo is running for governor of the great Nevada. A United States Army and Nevada National Guard veteran, Joe joined the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department in 1988 and has bravely served and protected people of Nevada for the past 34 years. As the elected sheriff of Clark County, Joe has fought some of the worst criminals and defended neighborhoods and communities from the horrific violence enabled by the radical left across our great country. As governor, Joe will fiercely protect our under siege Second Amendment, oppose sanctuary cities, support our law enforcement, veto any liberal tax increase, protect life, and secure our elections. Joe Lombardo is uh, the leader Nevada needs, and he has my complete and total endorsement. Uh, well, I mean, well, there you have it, guys. There you have it. Um, got, got, got to ask how much of that might be a cookie cutter statement, you know? Um, uh, it, for example, in, in regards to election security, and this might not be Joe Lombardo's fault, uh, but, you know, he has said that he believes the 2020 elections were uh, quite secure. And that there's no evidence of fraud. And, and the only reason why I'm, I say it might not be Joe Lombardo's fault is because, well, no one ever showed him. But at the same time, um, I guess he never sought out that information himself. Uh, here's a statement. Oh, actually, let's look at this one first. Okay, let's look at this one first. Before we get into Joe Lombardo's statement on uh, election uh, fraud in 2020, Trump endorses Joe Lombardo for Nevada governor. Okay. Uh, let's take a, a brief ganda. Uh, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo, who is running in Nevada's Republican gubernatorial primary race for the post of state governor, has received his endorsement from President Donald Trump, who called him a leader the state needs. Uh, a veteran of the United States Army and the Nevada National Guard, Lombardo joined the Las Vegas Police Department in 1988. Uh, he served for 34 years as sheriff of Clark County. He's fought some of the worst criminals. Okay, Lombardo will be facing multiple other GOP candidates in the gubernatorial race. 
This includes former Senator Dean Heller, who lost a re-election bid despite garnering the support of Trump back in 2018. Las Vegas City Councilwoman Michelle Fiore, Fiore um, who has been a strong public supporter of Trump, even sticking a Trump 2024 sticker on a truck during her first campaign video. Joey Gilbert, who characterized himself as Trump from the jump. John Lee, who has launched a TV ad accusing Lombardo of defying Trump by allowing Vegas to become a sanctuary city and many more. Um, of course, uh, Lombardo says he's grateful for President Trump's endorsement. Of all the Republican candidates running in the elections, Lombardo raised the most money, right, with almost $3 million cash on hand, which is over two times more than any other GOP candidate. Was that a deciding factor in President Trump's endorsement? You know, a recent poll by Nevada Independent um, OH Predictive Insights conducted April 1st uh, through the 9th found Lombardo to be ahead of other Republican hopefuls. He was the only GOP candidate to poll within single digits of leading Democrat contender Steve Sisolak, the current governor of Nevada. A poll conducted by Suffolk University, Reno Gazette Journal, found Lombardo leading Sisolak by three percentage points. Uh, following the Trump endorsement, a spokesperson for Sisolak issued a statement insisting the former president, their words not mine, supports, indicates that Lombardo's campaign is hitting the panic button. So I guess according to Sisolak, um, they're panicking because they're losing, and that's why they needed Trump's endorsement. Um, after getting attacks from all sides on the airwaves, calling out for called out for hiding, ripped off for uh, ripped for having it both ways on immigration, and hours after a brutal editorial from the conservative Review Journal on his lack of transparency and record of wasting taxpayer money, it's no surprise. Lombardo is reaching out for a lifeline. That was from Sisolak's spokesperson. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting development, right? Uh, so in regards to election integrity, and again, $3 million cash on hand, how much of that came from uh, the victims of uh, October 1 Las Vegas massacre fund? I wonder, who, oh, Right. Or why is it that he's receiving so much support? I mean, we'll get into it, guys. You think I'm not going to let you think I'm not going to touch on that? We are going to touch on this. OK, let's look at something that is also relevant, though, in regards to uh, he's going to secure our elections as governor, says President Trump. Right. Uh, according to this is from the uh, this is from the um, Reno uh, Grand Journal. If I'm not mistaken, it's rgj.com. It says uh, Lombardo in July told the RGJ that he did not know if the results of November's election were accurate. He has not changed his mind since then, though he said Joe Biden is the duly elected president and that the election was not stolen. Uh, Lombardo says no evidence has been brought forward to me to change my opinion I don't think anybody knows if there's a perception there was fraud or the election was stolen, bring the evidence forward. But I haven't seen that. I still think there needs to be election reform moving forward. I don't think universal mail-in ballots are the answer. I don't think ballot harvesting is the answer. And when elected governor, I will repeal both of those. Okay. Cause Nevada has that, uh, Nevada has that way of doing things, you know, universal mail-in balloting, et cetera. 
I'm not aware of their ballot harvesting laws, but it sounds like it's legal in Nevada. Uh, I guess I guess you would have to ask Jim Marchant, right, of Nevada, who's running for Secretary of State over there, uh, who is a lead on the Secretary of State Coalition to Restore Our Republic and Secure Election Integrity in these United States of America. But clearly, um, Joe Lombardo could not be bothered to go to the election integrity hearing that Jim Marchant led a few months ago in Nevada. Okay, I mean, I'm sure that the evidence was present and accounted for there, but uh, they didn't bring it to his desk. So I guess it just does not exist. Uh, And then the article goes on to uh, talk uh, crap about... uh, the 2020 elections, right? There remains no credible evidence of widespread fraud, right? Okay. Uh, Lombardo pointed to enhanced voter ID requirements as one way to bolster flagging faith in the electoral process, which polling shows is largely a phenomenon among GOP voters, of course, because let's not forget, uh, local media is leftist and um, um, paid for by 501c3s, non-governmental organizations, etc. He also endorsed the creation of a bipartisan election integrity commission that would be able to review and audit county vote totals. Joe Lombardo. Everyone is scratching their heads over this one, guys. Everyone is scratching their head over this one. Okay. Um, You know, you know, we're going to talk about it, guys. You know, we're going to mention it. Oh, well. Speaking about that election evidence, (laughs) we're going to talk about it, okay? Now, I mean, this article here from the Washington Examiner highlights some of the findings, uh, some of the the evidence that they brought to the table in Nevada during the 2020 election, specifically from the hearing um, that was held by Trump's legal counsel. Uh, Nevada fraud, says the headline, 1,500 dead voters found 42,000. 248 voted multiple times, and uh, RV camps were considered homes, and they seem to multiply exponentially during the 2020 elections, okay? So I guess this is something that Lombardo missed, right? The Trump campaign on Wednesday unveiled a tranche of information it plans to present to a Nevada state court Thursday that suggests there were thousands of fraudulent votes cast, possibly enough to overturn Joe Biden's win there by 33,000. 569 votes. Officials said that among the evidence and expert testimony to be presented in Carson City are indications that over 1,500 ballots were cast by dead voters. Over 4,200 people voted multiple times. Data on a huge spike in incomplete voter registrations and home addresses in temporary RV camps and casinos. They also plan to present polling that 1% of Nevada voters shown to have voted never did vote, and 2% of those shown to have voted by mail never got a ballot. The legal team was quick to note that it had just begun to collect information and that fraud cases can sometimes take months to years to investigate. Officials also added that they have been stonewalled by United States Postal Service and state and county officials in their efforts to review votes and registrations. Their focus has been in Democrat-heavy Clark County, where Biden won by 90,000-plus votes. Uh, Biden won 521,852 to President Trump's 430,930. By contrast, in 2016, Trump won 511-plus, 1,000-plus votes and lost it to Hillary Rodham Clinton by 26,000 votes. Um, 
So, well, there you go, guys. So uh, there is a little bit of information, I guess, that just it just did not make his way across Sheriff Lombardo's desk. Troubling, troubling, troubling that, ladies and gentlemen, troubling that. Um, so for me, of course, uh, election integrity is is primary focus, right? Um, uh, we, we, we don't necessarily lose our lives, but we do lose our sovereignty and our freedom. But, you know, this is another big issue, guys. This is another huge issue for many, many individuals uh, regarding um, this endorsement. You know, like uh, what happened during the um, a massacre in Las Vegas, the uh, shooting massacre, right? Uh, we've talked about it um, here briefly at uh, Mr. CTV. I know that uh, everyone everyone, you know, has something to add to this conversation and has seen the documentaries, has seen all of the questionable evidence or lack thereof, you know, uh, which again, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting, interesting place to be when an endorsement like this happens. And uh, one has to wonder again about the um, selection process for endorsements, but just, just real quick, just to, you know, kind of, uh, uh, cover a little bit of this. Um, uh, this says the truth about Joe Lombardo. I don't know if I can say this is the truth specifically here at the Sea Report, but let's take a look at it. The Joe Lombardo cover-up of the Las Vegas massacre. Um, Lombardo either botched the investigation of the Las Vegas shooting in the fall of 2017 or as part of an FBI-ordered cover-up. Uh, Lombardo worked with the FBI to keep the public in the dark about the worst mass shooting in the United States history. Numerous media outlets had to sue the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department under his leadership because the department violated basic press freedoms. They refused to release the surveillance tapes, uh, investigation documents, and other crucial evidence pertaining to the shooting, and Lombardo never released a comprehensive report detailing the case. Lombardo also got caught in a lie during a live TV press conference with the FBI, where he lied about the timeline of the Las Vegas shooting with FBI special agent Aaron Rouse, a crooked cop who was appointed by James Comey to head up the Las Vegas division of the FBI. Sheriff Lombardo regurgitated lie after lie provided to him by the FBI, but he also chose to heap praise upon Comey's lackey during his time as sheriff. Lombardo, in his role as sheriff and the FBI, wants us to believe that Stephen Paddock was solely responsible for the Las Vegas shootings on October 1st, 2017, and that Stephen Paddock killed himself by shooting himself with an automatic weapon with a bump stock attached. Cult, if not impossible. It also ignores substantial evidence that multiple people had access to Paddock's suite prior to his deadly shooting spree. These failures of leadership led to the Clark County Republican Central Committee to hold a vote in November of 2019, where they agreed to no longer support Sheriff Joe Lombardo, pointing to his history of negligence and corruption. Now Lombardo wants to be the Republican candidate for governor. So obviously that article in brief does not describe, describe in detail all of the other aspects of what happened in uh, um, Las Vegas on that day and his hand in the cover-up the only thing I could say is it makes sense that Sheriff Joe Lombardo has $3 million cash on hand because if he did a great job of covering up that event, 
I'm sure he'll do a wonderful job as a deep state operative, a deep state operative working from the governor's office in the state of Nevada. That's that squares with me. Okay, what doesn't square is the endorsement that he just received. You know, what else can we say about that, ladies and gentlemen? What else can we say about that? Um, Let's take a look at the next uh, statement by President Trump. Uh, President, I mean, uh, these are just some off, off, uh, off, off colors, you know, uh, types of statements from President Trump today, right? What what, uh, timeline did I wake up in today, right? Um, Let's see here. Well, Aurelius Locke does ask a valid question. Uh, Was Lombardo threatened or blackmailed? Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, Governor Kemp is also under duress. They blew up his daughter's boyfriend. Step down. Step aside. Don't seek re-election unless uh, it was found to just be too too much gain from going with uh, what the dark, dark side wants, right? I don't know, guys. I don't know. Very questionable to me. Um, okay, next statement and Trump. Uh, President Trump sends a zinger uh, uh, by way of George Conway. Okay, we'll, we'll take a look at the statement first. It's it's, it's an odd one, right? Uh, um, President Trump says, no, he's mentally ill. Uh, a very sick man. I don't know what Kellyanne did to him, but it must have been really bad. She has totally destroyed this guy. His mind is completely shot. And so uh, we're talking about George Conway here, right? Okay. Now, admittedly, guys, even with a name like Conway, I was like, who the hell's that? Is that uh, is that Twitty's uh, is that Twitty's uh, cousin or something, or maybe Twitty's son, right? Um, I, so it, it's it's it, it's uh, Kellyanne Conway's husband, okay? <laughs> Kellyanne Conway's husband. Here, let's move on to this. Yeah, Kellyanne Conway's husband. All right, now. God bless Kellyanne Conway. Okay, that's all I got to say. <laughs> God bless Kellyanne Conway, okay? Uh, uh, she is a wonderful woman, all right? All right. But, um, she also saw something in Chris Christie as well. So she has a type, okay? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just, you know, God bless Kellyanne Conway, okay? Okay. There is someone for everyone, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get into that. You know, it just makes me look totally tasteless and uh, makes me seem like I have stronger faith in humanity than I do. Ah, just kidding. I do. I have pretty strong faith. But uh, so, anyways, so uh, 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 Trump sends this zinger to uh, George Conway, whom you know I, I had to connect the dots, right? Even with a name like Conway. I, I, Kellyanne's husband is not the first of mine. In fact, I thought that she had divorced her husband, but I'd heard that she'd had marital strife with him in the past. But uh, well, this is her husband, George Conway, right? Um, uh, uh, Conway would eat those zingers. Well, apparently he's eaten plenty of zingers, right? Apparently he's eaten plenty of zingers. Um, but so uh, I'm like, what is going on here, right? So uh, is there something I don't know about? Is is he and, and Kellyanne suddenly at odds with each other, but or is this just uh, you know, uh, uh, antagonizing things? Yeah, you know, that some people have that kind of relationship, you can't really judge it, right? Unless you're in it. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I had to kind of figure out what was up with that, you know. After all, Kellyanne Conway 
has been an, uh, announced as a speaker at uh, tomorrow's rally in Nebraska. So, you know, we'll be uh, broadcasting tomorrow's uh, Save America rally here at Mr. CTV uh, going live probably about 6.30 or so uh, tomorrow um, for an 8 p.m. Central Time speaking event with the president. But Kellyanne Conway will be speaking. So, again, what a timely, timely way to uh, release a statement like this, President Trump. You got you got the man's wife speaking at your next rally and you're going to throw a zinger at him. <laughs> Can we just put it under the bridge? Right. Or what is up with that? So uh, article here uh, talks about uh, this um, uh, this little activity. President Trump again saying, no, he's mentally ill, a very sick man. I don't know what Kellyanne did to him, but. It must have been really bad. You know, I mean, I could I could get that as a jest towards a former employee boss type thing. Like, uh, what did you do to your husband, Kellyanne? But, you know, Kellyanne supported Trump and, uh, you know, uh, George didn't. Uh, George spoke a, a lot of ill about President Trump. In fact, calling uh, President Trump like what? Uh, a, a few a few uh, knives short of a full dinner set or something like that. You know, a few a few light bulbs short of uh, of a. Uh, um, I don't know, uh, some type of lighting situation anyways, right? So, you know, I guess it's been a back and forth type of thing, apparently between George and President Trump with Kellyanne somewhere there in the middle. Um, article says here, uh, Conway George, a conservative lawyer, ensnared headlines during the Trump administration when he repeatedly questioned Trump's mental health. In 2019, he suggested Trump has narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder by tweeting out their respective pages from the fifth edition Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders by the American Psychiatric Association. Anything involving the use of brain cells is not his strong suit, says George Conway. In one of his several tweets on the matter, President Trump responded, uh, wait, um, he responded to Trump's broadside. I apologize. Uh, George Conway responded to Trump's broadside by referencing E. Jean Carroll, a writer and columnist who accused Trump of raping her in New York City department store more than two decades ago. Trump, who denies the claim, lost a bid in March to countersue Carroll after she sued him for defamation. Um, hey, when's your guy going to produce his DNA in Gene Carroll's lawsuit, Conway said in a tweet. Conway's wife, Kellyanne Conway, served as Trump's final campaign manager in 2016 and then as Trump's senior counselor until August 2020, citing the need to focus on family. While George Conway stepped away from the Lincoln Project and took a short-lived hiatus from Twitter. Kellyanne Conway said of her and her husband, we disagree about plenty, but we are united on what matters most, the kids. They have four children. Uh, Kellyanne Conway defended her boss in 2019. Uh, she told political, Politico, he left it alone for months out of respect for me. But you think he shouldn't respond when somebody, a non-medical professional, accuses him of having a mental disorder? You think he should just take that sitting down? Don't play psychiatrist any more than George should be, she added. You're not a psychiatrist, and he's not respectfully. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, she added, uh, that added to the awkward nature of the revived clash between uh, Kellyanne's husband and her former boss. And again, she's set to speak at tomorrow's rally in Nebraska. 
Very interesting that, right? Very interesting that. Now, uh, I thought, you know, uh, it would be interesting to kind of take a look at the life and time state of the union, as it were, between George and Kellyanne. But I was like, nah, we're not going to belabor that point. You know, uh, they met over 20 years ago um, by way of, uh, by way, interesting enough of, um, uh, what is that woman's name? Uh, uh, you know, the, the, why is her name? I could see her face. I could see her face. The um, uh, the uh, highly conservative, uh, loudmouth, uh, thin blonde woman that everyone just does not like. I cannot think of her name right now. It's just, anyways. Uh, she introduced the two of them, um, uh, Kellyanne and George, um, and uh, you know, uh, eventually she went to go work. They were both actually um, thumping for Ted Cruz. Uh, Kellyanne and George, and then she eventually went to go work for President Trump when he got uh, the uh, nomination for um, as the primary contender in 2016 versus Hillary Clinton. So anyhow, guys, uh, there's that brief history. But I found most interesting uh, the fact that uh, George Conway was a founding associate of the Lincoln Project, right? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a group I wouldn't want to be tied to, right? Uh, with all the scandal that uh, has happened and been involved around the Lincoln Project. I mean, aside from them being the ones who set up the tiki tortures in Virginia, right? Uh, also, the uh, the uh, gay pedo scandals with one of their founding members also, you know. And uh, George actually came under fire for that because though George had already kind of distanced himself from the Lincoln Project or was attempting to distance himself from the Lincoln Project, right? A staunch uh, rhino anti-never-Trumper group, right? That has worked and worked tirelessly against President Trump. Um, uh, he also tried to distance himself from that uh, member who was caught up in the scandal. Um, that was uh, John Weaver, found one of the co-founders of Lincoln Project. George Conway denied close ties to uh, John Weaver, and he he wrote an op-ed about it because, uh, I mean, come on, John was using his position to groom and uh, harass and entice young um, yeah, men, we're talking high school age, right, uh, south of 18, right, 14, 15, 16, um, yeah, 14, 15, 16, that was the age range, uh, into um, sexual favors for political gain, uh, text messages and emails and, uh, you know, tweets, etc. Ann Coulter, thank you, the skinny one. <laughs> Ann Coulter introduced George and Kellyanne. Anyways, uh, at the request of George, right, he, he asked his friend Ann Coulter to introduce him to Kellyanne, and uh, they hit it off from there, okay? Anyways, enough about that. Thank you, 123SKG, appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, so let's take a look at this real quick. Anti-Trump Lincoln Project co-founder George Conway tried to put distance between himself and his colleague John Weaver, who has been accused of online harassment, sending sexually explicit messages to young men on Monday, contending that he did not know him very well. Conway reacted to the allegations lodged against his colleague during a Monday appearance on Morning Joe, oh God, calling it terrible and awful and appalling and unfathomable. He says, I didn't know John very well. Frankly, I only spoke to him a couple of times on the phone early in the Lincoln Project. I just, it's almost, I don't even know what to say. He continued, adding that the turn of events left him speechless. However, in late 2019, Conway strongly promoted an op-ed penned by himself, 
Steve Schmidt, Rick Wilson, and John Weaver, the last of whom faces accusations of sending provocative messages to young men. One of the accusers said he began receiving the messages as an adolescent. The introductory op-ed served as an explainer on why they decided to start the Lincoln Project, citing the corruption and corrosive nature of Kellyanne Conway's boss, Donald Trump, and describing the super PAC as a joint effort to highlight our country's story and values and its people's sacrifices and obligations. Over the next 11 months, our efforts will be dedicated to defeating President Trump and Trumpism at the ballot box and to elect those patriots who will hold the line, Conway wrote, alongside Weaver and other co-founders. The embattled Lincoln Project released a statement Sunday, striking the same tone Conway displayed Monday, one of disappointment and shock over the allegations against Weaver. Um, While many of those associated with Weaver, who worked with the late Senator John McCain, have pleaded ignorance, political consultant Ryan James Gerdusky, who broke the story, slammed the Lincoln Project statement, calling it absolute lie. Members did know young men approached them about the accusations. Members knew I was writing the story and warned John Weaver, he said. And there was a statement about it. Allegation of allegations of Weaver using his possession as a means to receive sexual favors for men surfaced in January, leading Weaver to claim he was a homosexual. Weaver said to Axios, to the men I made uncomfortable through my messages that I viewed as consensual mutual conversations at the time, I am truly sorry. They were inappropriate, and it was because of my failings that this discomfort was brought to you. The truth is that I am gay, he continued, and what I have, and that I have a wife and two kids who I love. My inability to reconcile those two truths has led to this agonizing place of uh, hiding behind what uh, uh, sexually perverted tweets to young men. I don't know. Anyways, we've actually covered this here at the Sea Report um, back when it broke last January, and etc. It's just interesting, you know, because after that, you know, uh, more information was coming out. It, apparently, it was a toxic work environment at the Lincoln Project, and the only woman who was working there was always harassed. And I guess, you know, uh, misogyny runs high amongst some homosexuals, and I'm sure many of them would not be happy that I'm saying such things, but uh, it's just easy, you know, um, when that's not your thing. Anyways, enough about that, but uh, I don't know, I don't know, um, I don't know. Where would you put George Conway in all of that, ladies and gentlemen? Very interesting, very interesting indeed. Goodness, time is just flying tonight. Uh, let's move on to our next story. We're done with uh, President Trump's statements for the. That is definitely a double life, Bubbles. Definitely a double life there for George Con. I mean, not for George Conway. <laughs> for John Weaver, right? You know, if if John Weaver had been a millennial, um, he would probably uh, be a teacher at a university or a, a high school, <laughs> trying to push uh, transsexualism and uh, and confusing kids. Uh, because of his uh, agonizing double life that he led. Uh, anyways, okay. So you see you see the difference in the generations. Uh, closeted homosexuals and those whom were shamed and uh, or bullied end up leading double lives and having uh, children where they've lied a- about who they are to their families. Uh, the younger generations just end up trying to peddle their own personal identification issues onto the children of next generation because um, woke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Rhino Robin. Ba you know, we've been talking about Wisconsin a lot this uh, week, it seems. Uh, so another update, okay, because er as everyone knows, you know, uh, Rhino Robin Voss has decided to go ahead and allow a special counsel, former Supreme Court Justice of Wisconsin, Michael Gableman, to continue his investigation into the 2020 presidential election fraud in Wisconsin, which has returned many great receipts. But, you know, now they've got to go to court over certain things, okay? Now, uh, this is just another example of the type of leader that Robin Voss is, ladies and gentlemen. It's, 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 it's disgusting, okay? It's disgusting. Um, uh, apparently, where um, legal matters are concerned and state matters are concerned, right? Um, Robin Voss has opted to uh, put the bill on Representative Janelle Branchin uh, regarding legal matters. Now, we'll explain this in, in a minute, but uh, just think about this, right? Uh, Representative Janelle Branchin has done everything within her ability to uh, bring election fraud forward in the state of Wisconsin. She's fought hard for it, right? Uh, she has a committee. She's led it. She's, she's done her memo. She's, she's uh, held the hearings. Uh, she's made the statements. She's done the rounds, okay? Um, she's uh, uh, sponsored and co-sponsored bills, etc. And, and, you know, in, in this specific position, wherein um, she's being called upon to pay her own for her own legal defense, a position that was um, that was given to her by Robin Voss. It's just crazy. I mean, what kind of a leader is Robin Voss? I mean, do we need any other marks on this man's record to get it straight? Right. Let's take a look. This is crazy, guys. Uh, Wisconsin Rhino Speaker of the House Robin Voss stiffs committee chair Janelle Branchin with attorney costs after they are sued for investigating state election commission. That's the Wisconsin Election Commission, right? Um, it says here, and this is from the Gateway Pundit, an exclusive. The Gateway Pundit learned on Wednesday from an anonymous source that Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has denied legal representation to the chair of the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections, Representative Janelle Branchin. What is up with that? He's like, uh, sorry, we're not going to give you any legal representation for a job he assigned her to? In March of 2021, the Wisconsin State Assembly passed Assembly Resolution AR-15, right? Brrr, right? Directing the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections to investigate the 2020 election due to the various issues and concerns, including non-compliance with election laws. Wisconsin Speaker Robin Voss and the entire leadership team voted in favor of this me measure. So he votes in favor of it. He assigns it, of course, because that's her committee. And then when they get sued... He leaves her hanging. Now, that's the kind of underhanded backwards and, you know, uh, uh, would you call that subtle, right? Um, it, it's, it, I would say it's subtle because this is the type of information that's not going to reach the constituents. It's not going to reach the headlines and not that it would in local media in, in Wisconsin. But it's, it's, another, it's another way of undermining. <laughs> it's another way of undermining election integrity efforts because the the individual who is spearheading those efforts 
is is basically being caught in lawfare, okay? And we all know how lawfare works and what it does to someone who's caught in it. It 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 could possibly bankrupt them. You know, it could it could possibly leave them in a position where they cannot even focus on their job because they have to take care of their home. They have to take care of their livelihood and um it's it's twisted. In my it's twisted, right? Uh, why would he do that? You know, and, and what kind of message does that send to Representative Branchen for the job that she's done? Oh, that she shouldn't have been so good at her job or, oh, that she took it too seriously, uh, that she has no support from her leadership. Well, she knew that already. OK, she knew that already. Or is this another way of Robin Voss doing a tit for tat reprisal against a representative who called him to the plate? You remember what he did to Representative Rantham, right? When Rantham said, oh, well, you know, Robin Voss is actually the one who's fighting for ballot boxes here in Wisconsin. In fact, he's the one that had is responsible for having them throughout the nation, okay? Because Robin Voss sat as the head of the committee organization that was in charge of that, okay? And Rantham called him to the plate and called him out. And then uh, the next thing you know, Robin Voss uh, strips him of his office, takes away his staff, and then does not even allow him into the hearings and the committee meetings regarding election integrity. Totally boots him out, says you're not allowed in here. That's a little, you know, that's a little, it's petty, right? Uh, you know, that is re reprisal. You know, in some businesses, in some organizations, uh, that's grounds for lawsuit. Uh, you cannot retaliate. Uh, against your employees, or in, in this case, someone who uh, works beneath you in the state house, I would think, you know, that's grounds for um, what is called reprisal um, harassment, ladies and gentlemen. Could this be a reprisal against uh, Representative Branchen for calling him out and making sure that um, Michael Gableman's job remains in place until you know, everything is squared away in regards to their investigation into the elections of 2020. That's what it seems like to me. And also seems like a very, very petty move. You know, uh, Robin Voss does enjoy his uh, petty harassments, but uh, depending on the size of this illegal bill, it may not be petty at all. You know, it may not be petty at all. Uh, in the course of the committee's investigation, uh, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call, on behalf of the Wisconsin Election Commission, filed a lawsuit against Branchen, Voss, and special counsel Michael Gableman. It is believed that Voss has spent over $250,000 um, of taxpayer money on his defense, but he has denied legal representation to Branchen in the course of her duties. The very duties that the speaker assigned to her. Now Branchen is forced to pay for her own defense as Voss refuses to help her with the costs. That is absolutely disgusting. And uh, that is not a leader, ladies and gentlemen. That is not a leader. In case you forgot, there is Representative Branchen right there. Mm -hmm. Poor Mama Bear. Poor Mama Bear. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe uh, the Gateway Pundit will uh, do, um, I don't know, some kind of fundraising for her or something like that. Because uh, they've been on top of this, uh, you know, election integrity and the fraud exposure from the jump. And uh, maybe 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 the constituents will rally for her. I don't know. You know, it's, I, I'm flabbergasted by that uh, bit of information. It's 
It's insane, guys. It's insane. It is insane. Okay. All right. Let's talk about a little bit of election integrity stuff here, guys. A little election fraud exposure. Let's talk a little bit about Dominion voting machines. Now, we mentioned them again last night. There was a breaking report that uh, was birthed uh, at the end of last month, right? Where the Election Assistance Commission released their report that found that Dominion voting machines, uh, they're not reliable. They're not secure, okay? Um, There was error code, a coding error found within the software that they still managed to certify as safe and secure for the 2018 midterms and the 2020 elections, right? Very, very big report, okay? Well, um, as I was perusing around the election integrity stories for tonight, um, I came across another article that talked about the Dominion voting machines and their lack of reliability, which means we now have three, we now have three full reports on the books about um, Dominion's lack of reliability. Now, the first one that we heard about uh, came by way of a man named Professor Holdren or Holden, Holdren, Professor Holdren. And he works for MIT, and he was commissioned by the state of Georgia, if you guys, uh, if if memory serves, if y'all remember, he was commissioned by the state of Georgia to do a forensic uh, report on Dominion voting machines uh, to prove whether or not they could be hacked or whether or not they were reliable, etc., Okay, Um, and uh, shortly after the report was completed, they sealed the report. Okay, they sealed the report because they could not let anybody know. And this was commissioned in 2016 ish. Okay, 2016 ish. They sealed the report. All right. yeah, it was it was sometime between 2016 and we 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 uh we shared the story here guys on on the C report but uh they sealed the report it's under lock and key so no one can see it and then uh recently they released the findings of that report. So the report shows access points by Wi-Fi or remote uh you know there can be uh there can be um um errors made in the machines and he was focusing again on the scanners and on the printers of the ballot readers. Uh, So that was one of them. Uh, The next one that we found out about, uh, we shared yesterday, which was the EAC commissioner's report or EAC commission's report. And, uh, you know, it it talked about uh, the error coding that that was discovered, you know, unreliable. How did it get there? Well, you know, one could only speculate, you know, Uh, it could have something to do with those 36 Wi-Fi or remote access points that have also been reported on in the Wisconsin uh, Michael Gableman report and also um, in, in a couple of other reports. Uh, also, the Tina Peters report out of Colorado. And this report comes out of Antrim County. Let's not forget Antrim County, Michigan, which was um, which was a lead led by um, um, a constitutional lawyer, Matt DiPerno. Uh, in his investigation, as we've shared here, they discovered that uh, the machines were not reliable. OK, now here's the thing. Uh, That information was shared while we were in the course of that investigation, but the report was never released, okay? The report on the Dominion machines that explained it all was also put under seal by the judge who oversaw the Antrim County case. Uh, that, That judge has since released the report, 
and it was released, if I'm not mistaken, in February. But I was like, oh my goodness. So we have three reports that show that Dominion voting machines are unreliable. They're not secure. Okay. And uh, like in Tennessee, they kicked out Dominion voting machines. Okay. Texas never even used them, but Williamson County, Tennessee kicked it out. The secretary of the state of Tennessee said, we need to recall these machines. Okay. Um, and, uh, and now it seems that that should be the case also in Michigan. So let's take a look guys. It seems that, uh, the number is coming forward about Dominion voting machines. All right. Uh, and you know, if, if, if it has been proven through these um, reports, right, that Dominion voting machines can be hacked and they're not reliable, what does that say about the lawsuits that Dominion filed against people like Mike Lindell and, uh, you know, um, OAN and uh, Sidney Powell and stuff like that, you know? Um, uh, it seems to me like those judgments should be reversed, you know? They should be reversed. Um, let's take a look. Judge releases Dominion audit report. The system is designed to create systemic fraud. Isn't that crazy? Released January 27th, okay? The court unseals details of audit on machines in Michigan's Antrim County. 13th Circuit Court Judge Kevin Elsenheimer released the audit report. A Michigan judge has released the bombshell report on the audit of Dominion voting systems, revealing that the machines and their software were designed to create systemic fraud. The report covers the forensic audit of Dominion's machines in Michigan's Antrim County, which received national attention after it was discovered that 6,000 votes for President Donald Trump were flipped to Democrat Joe Biden during, uh, due to an error. 13th uh, Circuit Court Judge Kevin Elsenheimer ordered the report's protective order to be lifted on Monday night, allowing the details of the audit to be unsealed and released to the public. The data firm that conducted the forensic audit of Dominion voting systems determined that the machines and software in Michigan showed that they were designed to create fraud and influence election results, the report reveals. We conclude that Dominion voting systems are intentionally and purposefully designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud and influence election results, so saith Russell Ramsland Jr., co-founder of Allied Security Operations Group, and that was from their preliminary report. The system intentionally generates an enormously high amount or high number of ballot errors. The ruling is a major blow for Dominion CEO who hoped to keep the report sealed. Uh, the electronic ballots are then transferred for adjudication, the report continues. The intentional errors lead to bulk adjudication of ballots with no oversight, no transparency, and no audit trail. So just by way of a quick refresher, when we're talking about the adjudication process, uh, what that means is that the um, machines were kicking the ballots into adjudication. Once the machines go into adjudication, they are no longer tabulated by the machines, but it is left up to the ever, um, ever honest with most integrity, the human being who is um, judging those ballots on whether or not the machine says or the ballot says it's going to uh, whatever political party or whatever candidate is running. Now, um, let's not forget about the situation in Detroit, Michigan, where um, conservative poll watchers were violently being kicked out 
of the um, of the um, um, adjudication process, and uh, they were covering up the windows with uh, pizza boards and cardboards. It was no transparency, no oversight, and no audit trail. So uh, it, it's up to the it's up to the um, it's up to the judgment of said uh, ballot counter, right, uh, to decide where that ballot is going. It's up to their honesty. It's up to their sense of integrity and moral uh, um, fortitude. So it leaves a lot of room for uh, fraud and for dishonesty, right? So uh, let's see here. Based on our study, we conclude that the Dominion voting system should not be used in Michigan, he added. We further conclude that the results of Antrim County should not have been certified. Ramslind, a former Reagan administration official who has worked for NASA, and the team of cybersecurity experts examined Dominion products in Antrim County earlier this month as part of an ongoing case. The team inspected and performed forensic duplication on the county's election management server, which was running Dominion Democracy Suite 5.53-002, compact flashcards used by local precincts in their Dominion image cast system, USB memory sticks used by Dominion voter assist terminals, and USB memory sticks used for the poll book. They used X-Ways Forensics and other tools, including Black Bag, Black Light Forensic Software, and Virtual Box. Judge Elsenheimer approved the forensic examination in Bailey v. Antrim County, which alleges the infamous vote flip county officials reported last month may not have been the result of human errors, as officials had alleged. Antrim County resident William Bailey filed the lawsuit against the county that challenges the integrity of the election equipment. This is William Bailey, who is represented by Matthew DiPerno. On Monday, Elsenheimer ruled that the report on the examination must be published. Elsenheimer unsealed the report after state and county officials withdrew their objections. Michigan Secretary of Snakes, Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, has attempted to dismiss the report as inaccurate, incomplete, and misleading the Antrim County Clerk and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson have stated that the election night error detailed above by the vote flip from Trump to Biden was the result of human error caused by the failure to update the Mansalona Township tabulator prior to election night for a down-ballot race, reads the report by Allied Security Operations. We, oh, sorry, I thought that was from them. Okay, we disagree and conclude that the vote flip occurred because of machine error built into the voting software designed to create error. Allied Security Operations Group concludes that the Dominion systems should not be used in Michigan and the Antrim County results should not have been certified. Last weekend, Judge Elsenheimer, Eisenheimer, is it Elsenheimer or Eisenheimer? Yeah, it's it, it, Elsenheimer. It says Eisenheimer right here. Anyways, Judge Elsenheimer ordered Antrim County elections officials to preserve all election materials and refrain from operating any of the county's Dominion voting system machines ahead of a forensic audit by the Trump campaign. Antrim County election officials discovered that human error flipped 6,000 votes from uh, Trump to Biden after Bailey alerted them to some inconsistencies in the county's reporting of the vote, which is uh, the Daily Wire's note from Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's office. 
Uh, in a statement, Benson's office said that the clerk accidentally did not update the software used to collect voting machine data and report unofficial results. Um, the erroneous report uh, of uh, unofficial results from Antrim County was a result of accidental error on the part of Antrim County clerk. The equipment and software did not malfunction and all ballots were properly tabulated. However, the clerk accidentally did not update the software used to collect uh, voting machine data and report unofficial results. Uh, Assistant Attorney General Eric Grill claims the audit analysis is inaccurate, incomplete, and misleading. The Detroit Free Press reported Monday, there's no reason to hide. There is nothing to hide. Michigan Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, attempted to dismiss the report. Benson withdrew her objection to releasing the report, said Grill, because the attorney representing Bailey had given interviews to the press in which he leveled allegations about the election results and Benson, according to Daily Wire, any attempt to suppress the report now would only incorrectly be seen as an attempted cover-up, he said. Dominion Voting Systems and Michigan Secretary of State's office continue to urge caution about false information related to Antrim County. Dominion said in a statement released Monday that the error was caused when officials did not update the programming, emphasizing the error was caught in the post-election canvas process. The post-election canvas process is designed to catch errors, which is exactly where these errors were discovered. And yet it only came forward in the Antrim County trial case. It is disappointing, though not surprising, that the primary goal of this group is to continue spreading false information designed to erode the public confidence in elections, said Jake Rollo, spokes, uh, spokesman for Benson. Um, see, Trump won Antrim County by 4,000 votes, but lost the state by 154,000, according to them. Very crazy, guys. Very, very crazy. So three reports on the books. Three reports on the books, ladies and gentlemen, about... Um, about the uh, inefficiencies, the insecurities, uh, the lack of reliability about Dominion voting software. I find that very interesting, guys. Very compelling. Very compelling. Now, if all of these individual cases could, like, join forces and work together uh, to bring one damning final report, and they'd have to take it to court, no doubt. That would be an interesting day indeed. Hopefully they can... Uh, Get it together, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, the Speak and Easy. How's it going? Good evening, good evening. All right, next story. Again, we're looking at another election integrity audit effort. This one coming out of Florida, okay? Uh, so we have a group in Florida that has been working uh, to um, uh, raise awareness about um, election fraud uh, to secure integrity in their state. Of course, you know, their governor and their state house seem to be doing a pretty good job. And we all know that, uh, you know, Trump took Florida. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we got to we got to audit all 50, don't we? Uh, I'm going to play a video real quick from this group um, about uh, the Florida elections. OK, they've identified uh, several um, several um, I, uh, several factors that could lead to election fraud. Um, or unsafe, unsecure elections in their state. I'm not going to play the sound to it because it's just like music, but um, I am going to read the words on the screen so that uh, the podcast viewers can also uh, check out what they have to offer. So let's take a look. All right. This is from the uh, Florida Grassroots Group on Election Integrity. 
The video goes like this. Ooh, circles. Five things you didn't know about Florida's perfect election. Voter rolls are being inflated. How can you have more registrations than people who move there? They tell us they are cleaning our voter rolls. Number two, 10,000 voters at the same address. Thousands of voters share the same address. Now, real quick, uh, it says here, the Miami, Miami-Dade Elections Office at 2700 Northwest 87th Avenue had 10,954 voters registered at that address. Okay. And uh, 6,000, uh, oh, wait, I take that back. There were 10,954 people registered, but 6,734 of them voted, okay? And they had the same address, okay? No, 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 I'm misreading it. It is 10,000 registered at that address and 6,000 of those voted. Um, at the Okaloosa County Courthouse at 101 Jane Lee Boulevard East in Crestview, they had 9,252 people registered at that address and 6,178 of those people registered at that address voted. Isn't that crazy? 10,000 voters at the same address, okay? Now, maybe not all 10,000 of those people voted, but uh, a large percentage of them did. That's that's pretty crazy, okay? Uh, let's see what else did they find. Um, massive amounts of ghost voters. And the same pattern has been found in other states. Ghost voters being, of course, people who have, dis- who have passed away that have voted, uh, people who've moved out of state that have voted, or Flora residents who did not even know that they voted. Somehow they cast a ballot, right? Also in their uh, canvas, they found uh, leftist organizations that manage the voter rolls. Let's take a great look at a leftist organization. Uh, We've talked about Eric here before. The election registration, I mean the election rigging, I mean the election registration information center. Um, They get all of the data from the state of Florida. As noted, uh, George Soros plus seven left-leaning states started using Eric in 2012, funding from old Georgie himself. Pretty crazy, guys. Oh, and they're all the states. Let's just let's just rattle them off. Alabama, Connecticut, Illinois, Maine, Missouri, Oregon, Texas, Washington, Delaware, Iowa, Maryland, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Utah, Washington, D.C., Arizona, Florida, Kentucky, Michigan, New Mexico, Rhode Island, Vermont, West Virginia, Colorado, Georgia. Louisiana just kicked them out, but it was just for political gain from their secretary of state. Minnesota, Ohio, South Carolina, Virginia and Wisconsin. So those are all the states using the Election Rigging Information Center. And I might note that taxpayers also pay them dues by the thousands as well uh, to be part of that um, Election Rigging Information Center. Uh, 17 million plus voters added in 2020, okay? They openly state they add millions of eligible but unregistered voters. So what's up with that, right? Uh, they're doing a, a nationwide voter registration database, and yet uh, they're adding all of these names. They're not cleaning out the voter rolls. And now I have my own theories about this. 
about why that is as far as um, Eric is concerned. And my theory about it is that when you have... Um, when you have a high amount of, oh, I don't know, um, unlawful ballots being dropped in the middle of the night, you also need uh, in, the, uh, in the electronic, you know, sphere of things in the digital world, you need uh, imprints for those uh, voters. So if you want to drop 100,000 ballots paper into uh, a drop a box in the middle of the night, you will need 100,000 electronic um, accounts to match those voters. So uh, Eric can turn on and off voters anytime they want. You know, they found in Wisconsin that they have uh, 7 million registered voters in Eric, but they only have 5 million voters that are registered to vote in their state. What's up with that? You know, and why hasn't Eric cleaned out those voter rolls? And furthermore, why is Eric charging the state to get information from their um, process? Like, it makes no sense, right? Uh, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything but, you know, rigging the elections with this information system that is called Eric. Mm, that's what I think anyways. Uh, okay, back to this. And finally, uh, let's see what else it says here. Yeah, so it says here, so they are, are they adding more voters than deleting? And uh, I guess in the case of um, Florida, um, oh, seven states, one state, yeah, they're, they're adding, so... We, we all know this. I mean, we've covered this as well, but interesting, right? Boo! Look at the circles. Who is voting for your, from your home? The People's Audit out of Florida. Okay, let me shrink this video here. Let me uh, pop that little doohickey there. And uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. So this is what they had to say on their website. There we go. Uh, Florida's elections have been held up as the gold standard, but if you look at the publicly available voter rolls, you will be stunned. Uh, Florida patriots working with data experts across the nation poured through the over 15 million voters listed in the official legislative report. What we found was shocking and we are trying to spread the word to every Florida citizen as well as other states that share similar systems. The biggest problem across the nation is voter registrations growing faster than the population. How can that be possible? Not everyone wants to be involved with politics. Historically, about 55 to 60 percent of the population would register to vote. And of that number, 30 to 55 percent would actually turn out to vote in general elections. Not even municipal, not even midterms, right? But now we are even seeing some precincts with 70 to 100% turnout when those areas are canvassed, disturbing trend surfaces. Often we find the previous occupants of the property not only still registered there, but are still voting. People answering the door will say, we purchased the house from them years ago. We even track the voter down to other states with the national change of address database. So why are they still voting in Florida? Nursing homes are another location being taken advantage of. We commonly find nearly 50% of the people registered there have either passed away or were never even there. The strangest circumstances are the people who never remember registering to vote and claim they never voted in a Florida election. So how are all these people being targeted to vote, to vote harvesting in such mass? Well, our research leads us to a nonprofit company called the Electronic Registration Information Center, or ERIC. 
or the Electronic Rigging, uh, election, uh, election Rigging Information Center. On the surface, Eric seems to be a wonderful idea. Supposedly, 29 states have pulled together to see if they can quickly locate people who have moved or gotten a name change because of marriage. They claim they will cut down on people voting from multiple states. But if you read their state contracts and website stats, they really claim they will find potentially eligible but unregistered voters with instructions on how to register. In fact, their contract specifically states they want access to not only the active and inactive voter rolls, but also the state's Department of Motor Vehicle and Federal Social Security information. One interesting point in their contract specifically asks to remove any information referring to legal resident status. So the state cannot communicate if this individual is a non-citizen. At best, they are doing a horrible job since you can definitely find all the people they claim they will be removing all over our voter rolls. But at worst, who else would have the most ideal information on potential voters that is available to harvest? If you look into the founding of the organization, you will see that it was founded by a donation from George Soros and immediately started with seven left-leaning states in 2012. In just 10 short years, the company has ballooned to include 29 states, yet you won't find a single listing about their headquarters, location, or anything more than a handful of employees that somehow manage this enormous technical challenge of managing two-thirds of the nation's voter data. So yeah, uh, and again, Secretary of State out of Louisiana suspended their participation. It was all a political move, but it was done either way. So good information and a good, a good example again about grassroots, about we the people getting involved and doing something, calling it to attention, but you know, it can only go as far as we share it. So the people's audits here in Florida, okay, and there, there are election integrity groups, grassroots groups in every state, you know. It's a little hard to find them because you, you can't just type in um, uh, Texas Forensic Audit or Texas Canvas or Vote Canvas or Texas a Grassroots Political Group. And usually those, those won't pop up all the time. Uh, but if you're lucky, you can find it. All right, let's talk about Indiana, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this one's another exciting one uh, because um, we have a completed Canvas report uh, um, that was done by Indiana First Action, another grassroots out of the state of Indiana. And um, they have uh, finished their, their, their results. The Expose the Fraud, ladies and gentlemen, in Indiana, okay, because just as uh, the previous um, uh, report or article shared with us about what they find, you know, you can conflate and you can blow up and you can have as much unlawful fraud in your election as you want. But when you get at the ground level and you, uh, you do your door to door and you ask the questions in real life, um, you will find more often than not a stunning result versus what you're told and versus what, you know, official numbers or state numbers tell you about the vote. Um, crazy guys, crazy. I mean, people get very emotional over this stuff, you know, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Uh, this is um, the website. Most unfortunate, their website is a Facebook page, right? I'm surprised they still exist. 
Uh, Indiana First is uh, a grassroots citizen-driven evidentiary initiative uh, birthed in July of 2021 and working every day to restore trust in our elections through a focus on equal protection under the law, transparency, data, and facts, as well as accountability. We're bolstering support for a full forensic audit of the 2020-2022 election, as well as a return to paper ballots. The train is rolling. We have the momentum. We are meeting with legislators, working our canvas, procuring our evidence, emailing and calling our elected officials. It's being noticed. Join the train ride and ask an admin how our work groups canvas work. And welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. So if any of you folks out there are in Indiana, look up Indiana Action First. Get involved. Uh, we're going to take a look briefly at their um, press conference uh, report. Um, it is a total of an hour and 13 minutes long. We're not going to look at the entire thing. We're just going to look at uh, the meat and potatoes, guys. Uh, we'll take a look at their cyber summary. Um, also, their voter roll analysis as part of their executive summary and their canvas summary. Uh, it, you know, if, if any of you guys have seen these press conferences with the grassroots canvassing um, efforts and reports, uh, it's, 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 it's astonishing. And, it, and as was mentioned in Florida, there are patterns of exact or similar activity across the nation. Okay, across the nation, right? If they can get it done... You know, they have most damnable evidence of uh, possible fraud, right? Possible fraud. And not only is it damnable, it is extensive and broad. Uh, so let's take a look at this report, actually. Let me make sure we're set up for good sound because we got sound on this one, guys. And uh, let's get that on the screen for you all. Thanks again for being here with us tonight at the Sea Report, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are enjoying tonight's episode. And uh, great to have you all in the audience as usual. All right, let's take a look at Indiana. Who knew Indiana was on the ticket for election integrity? Let's see what they did. Hi, everybody. I'm Indiana Patriot. I am a cybersecurity professional. I've been in IT for 25 years, uh, cybersecurity for 15 of those years. I've been a security operations manager for a Fortune 500 company and several cybersecurity companies as a solutions engineer. So I'd like to start off tonight uh, by asking you all a question. Do you think the device you're using to watch this presentation right now is secure and no one besides yourself has access to it at this, even at this very moment? How would you know? Did you know that there is a cyber attack every 39 seconds or that 92% of ATMs are vulnerable to cyber attacks? or that 560,000 new pieces of malware are detected every day, or that Russian hackers can infiltrate a government or corporate computer in less than 18 minutes, and that cybercrime is more profitable than the global illegal drug trade. The fact is this, any system can be compromised, including the device you're using right now, as well as our poorly secured election systems. Because our elected officials, save a few, have thwarted any and all efforts to perform a forensic audit on Indiana's election machines, Let's take a look at a few more statistics to get a sense of the risk embedded in technology today. There were more than there were more cybersecurity breaches in 2021 than any year prior. There were more vulnerabilities discovered as well, which is a weakness in hardware software that allows for a pathway for attackers to get unauthorized access to a computer system. And 90% of those weaknesses were found to be exploitable by attackers with limited hacking or technical skills. 
It's truly child's play. The SolarWinds hack, if you didn't hear about this, allowed attackers to get into a large number of government and corporate systems. At least six cabinet level departments of the US federal government were compromised. And the attackers remained in those systems for eight to nine months before being detected. One company that was compromised was FireEye, a leading cybersecurity company who partnered with the state of Indiana as well as other states to protect our election systems in 2020. Ask yourself this, if some of the best cybersecurity companies are vulnerable to cyber intrusions, how vulnerable are our poorly secured election systems? In fact, we have refrigerators and thermostats being used to attack our internet infrastructure today. It is truly the wild west in our cyber realm. No system is fully secure, and any official claiming our election systems are safe and secure, including our Secretary of State, is misinformed, disingenuous, or worse. On that note, let's take a look at some recent discoveries in election machines used across the country, mind you, the same vendors and machines that are used in Indiana. In Wisconsin, it's been reported that election machines were connected to a hidden Wi-Fi access point, giving unauthorized machine and ballot access to a Zuckerberg-affiliated voting center operative. Another machine failed and then wiped all voting history after unauthorized network access was discovered. Zuckerberg-funded cell phone apps gave special interest groups real-time access to voter rolls and e-poll books. In Michigan, a machine was discovered connected to a system in Taiwan, and we should all be aware by now of the 6,000 votes that were flipped in Antrim County. And in Colorado, illegal software and more than 30 wireless devices were installed on election systems. The election system was set, also set up to get this automatically delete audit records and system log files, which are violations of both state and federal law. Does that sound like safe and secure to you? What we see here is proof of fraud and violation of both state and federal law with regard to these machines. Yet we still hear how 2020 was the most secure election in history and Indiana lawmakers continue to brush aside mounting evidence. Now let's look at some machine observations in Indiana. 62% of machines in the state have no paper audit trail. And if the machines are compromised, guess what? A paper audit trail will simply print out the fraud. Five out of every 100 machines are validated before they are shipped to the precincts. So in other words, 95% of machines follow the trust but don't verify logic. Insecure file transfer protocols were installed on our machines, which allows for unencrypted transfer of files over the network. Also outdated operating systems and database technologies were used. Voting machines in Indiana were connected to the internet per an NBC report. And if you didn't know, Indiana certification allows machines to have the ability to connect to the internet as long as the function is disabled. Numerous anomalous and statistically improbable voting results, which indicate a control mechanism, algorithm, or vote manipulation occurred across the state. So in summary, based on the state of cybersecurity in general, and the fact that governments and corporations with limitless budgets are getting breached daily, Based on the proven violation of state and federal law and unauthorized machine access in a number of other states and the potential for fraud on the very same machines we use here in Indiana, why has everyone we've spoken to, aside from two brave souls, refused to look into this further? Why have hundreds of technical Freedom of Information Act requests been ignored to date? Secretary of State Holly Sullivan continually repeats the falsehood that these systems are safe and secure. As you've seen, they are anything but. The bottom line, we must remove all machines from the election process, including the e-poll books, period, end of story. Now I'm gonna hand it off to Eric, who's gonna walk you through the executive summary of the anomalies our research teams have discovered. All right, 
Thank you very much, Patriot, for that summary of the cyber vulnerabilities that our election systems face. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you all for joining us this Saturday night to talk about the sanctity of your vote. As mentioned by my co-director, Marie, nothing is more important than your vote being counted as it was cast, as it is truly the final mechanism that we have for accountability towards our elected representation. Before I begin, it's important to reiterate that all of our data is sourced from the Secretary of State's voter rolls, voter history files, and websites, as well as data coming from individual county websites and other publicly available sources of information. Everything we used is sourced with a chain of custody, ensuring that this information will hold up in a court of law. To start, I'd like to summarize the main point of what you just heard from Patriot. It is what I like to call the ultimate mantra breaker in that our elected officials cannot and often will not debate anyone on the merits of the arguments that were just made. Their only response has been to ask for your trust that this equipment functions as they claim without providing any proof that it does. And the processes we use to certify this equipment certainly does not support their claim either. This leads us into our first piece of evidentiary analysis. For those that are not familiar, Freedom of Information Freedom of Information Act requests, known as FOIAs, are a mechanism that citizens use to get the information from their government officials and bureaucracies that we really should have had access to in the first place. Indiana First, all volunteer teams submitted over 950 FOIA requests since our inception to various government entities across the state, including the Secretary of State's office, VSTOP, and the county clerk's offices, to name a few. How many of these FOIAs were returned pertaining to the most secure election in Indiana history? Less than 20. In order for the people to have any faith in the administration of our elections, transparency is the fundamental principle of that relationship. Our elected officials only complied with 2% of our requests for information. And of the 20 that were returned, several did not include the information that we sought. This practice is truly unacceptable if the election and the corresponding processes were as secure as the Secretary of State claims. Additionally, our team has analyzed the Secretary of State's voter registration and voter history files, the data of which presents not only anomalous results, but also brings forth serious questions about the integrity of the processes implemented to control the voter rolls in this state. As you can see here, this is what we call a registration key, and it's based on Johnson County. The red line is the number of registered voters at each individual age group from ages 18 to 100. The blue line represents the total number of ballots cast in each of those same age groups. If you were to take the total number of ballots cast and divide that by the number of registered voters in that age group, you would get a turnout percentage for all 83 age groups. And you would be able to create a key, a key that if you could apply to all other counties in the state would be able to model the results in every other county in this state down to every individual age group. So I would first like to begin with that analysis of the voter history file itself. If I told you that no matter what county you resided in in Indiana, that you have nearly the same tendency to vote as other voters in your age group, what if I told you that we created a model from a single county regarding that voter turnout and that model fit with near perfection in every other Indiana county 
regardless of the demographic changes, political differences, or any other change that might exist between counties. The graph you are seeing behind me illustrates that every Indiana County follows the same model. To bring this into perspective, this is the same as rolling to, into each county with a pair of dice in your hand and rolling snake eyes in every single county. But that really doesn't describe the gravity of what you're seeing here. This is really like rolling into every county, rolling that dice 83 times in each county and getting the same results for every single dice roll in every single county. From a statistical perspective, this phenomenon is not only impossible, it is indicative of a control measure that is not human in nature. Directly following my executive summary, Buckeye is going to walk you through how this analysis was created and show you the undeniable proof that these election systems, which our elected officials claim to be safe and secure, are anything but. Additionally, we also analyze the voter registration file, which houses the active voters in every single county. There are counties with over 18,000 voters registered in a single day to 25,000 registered voters with the same duplicate unique identifier number and voters with incomplete data. The graph here that you see illustrates those issues. We have also identified that the Secretary of State is certifying different election results than those certified by the county clerks. The Secretary of State has indicated that Indiana brought all of these current systems into used in election administration in to be the leader in election administration across the nation. But for Indiana to be that leader, why do all of these discrepancies exist? There is more to come on these discrepancies that Indiana first has uncovered in the Secretary of State's data at the end of this executive summary. Now I'm going to turn it back over to Marie to discuss the boots on the ground action that Indiana first has been involved in. Awesome, thanks so much. So you guys have all heard from Eric and Patriot on the issues we have encountered on this journey. Um, after our guest speakers are finished, our teams are going to definitely dive into how all these analyses were created and delve into the, these results. But for now, I wanna talk about where does the rubber meet the road? Well, Indiana First has completed canvases of several counties and I wanna go ahead and share the results of Hamilton and Johnson with you. <clears throat> Our team hit the pavement to find out from voters if everything matches the data from the Secretary of State's files. We ask about residency, whether or not they voted in the 2020 general election, and by what method they voted when casting their ballot. We never, ever, ever ask for who they voted for. Again, we are just simply gathering data and affidavits from Hoosiers. This took us about two months and a ton of dedication from October to December. Hey, you back there in Telegram, I want to give you a shout out to our canvassers. You guys are rock stars and we love you. Let's start here with Hamilton County. Out of the 1,883 doors that we knocked on, 631 were answered, which is 34%. That's a huge success. Of the doors that we answered, we had a 34% error rate. Here are two pie charts. Uh, the one on the left reflects the Secretary of State record keeping problems, and the one on the right, the overall reported discrepancies. As you can see, the one on the right, a third of the chart reveals no issues. But look at the other two thirds. 
So I wanna walk you through the terms and I'm going to start with incorrect record keeping there at that 30%. This is when a voter reports that they voted by a certain method, but the Secretary of State's voter history files show the opposite. For instance, a person tells us they voted by mail-in, but their file shows them going on election day and vice versa. So my question is, if the votes are processed by the machines in the voting centers that directly communicate with the Secretary of State and clerk's offices, why in the world are there so many mistakes? That's 30% of the residents we spoke with. That's a huge number. And as you, as you can see on the left-hand side, the largest problem that she had. Now let's go into phantom voters, 4% here. A phantom voter is a voter not living at that address, but that they did cast a vote. We heard over and over while canvassing, well, I've never heard of that person, or they were the original owners, and my goodness, they moved in 2017. A ghost voter, the next one, is the 15%. That is a voter uh, that moved away again prior to October 1st, 2020, but did not cast a vote. That's 15%. Lost votes and overvotes. These two get my heart the most. A lost vote occurs when the person at the door states that they did, in fact, vote in the election, but the voter records show that no ballots were cast. Guys, that's one out of every nine voters had their votes lost. Was that your vote? The overvote. This is a person that reported, nope, I didn't go vote, but the voter record shows that a ballot was cast with their personal ID number. That's 3% there. And cross-county voting, finally. It is just what it says. Residents in Hamilton County were voting in Madison or Marion. So now, same system, but let's go to Johnson County, a completely different county with the same issues. 43% answered their doors, and are you ready, Johnson County canvassers? 46% discrepancies. So let's go back up to incorrect record keeping. But before I do that, look at the no issues. 14%. Now the record keeping is 38%. Remember that somebody that said, nope, I went the day of, I voted on the day of the election, but the Secretary of State's files show a mail-in or an early. Phantom voters, 16%. That's huge. Remember, that's a person not living at that address, but a vote was cast for them. Ghost votes, 13%. Remember, that is a voter that moved away prior to October 1st, 2020, but did not cast a vote, 13%. Lost votes. Johnson County did better here, but still one lost vote is tragic. That is where someone tells us, nope, we did in fact vote, but the voter record shows no ballots were cast in their name. Overvote, 5%. A person reported, nope, we did not vote, but the record showed that a ballot was cast. And then we have some invalid addresses there. So from county to county, what our team learned, large to small, heavily populated versus not, the same mistakes are seen. If there is anything we want you to take away from today is that that one lost vote is tragic. I mean, was that your vote? Was that your neighbor's vote? Was it your family member's vote? 
Now, let's go to our bottom line. Does this seem like a system that you want to trust with your vote? A system that you want to trust to ensure that you and every other citizen can hold your representation accountable? If not, boy, you guys, we could use your help. This really fired our team up. We are canvassing Boone and Allen this very weekend. Sign up, drop a little thing down in the general chat. We'll hook you up with your county captain. It's super easy. Uh, this brings awareness of this issue to each person at the door that's willing to sign an affidavit that some kind of irregularity happened. And this is just a small sampling, guys. Imagine if we hit all 92 counties. That's why in our full forensic audit bills that we asked for the legislators to pass, we asked for 10 counties to be canvassed alongside those audits. It truly is the checks and balances. These anomalies can only be representative of a broken system. So this mantra being spread about the 2020 election being the safest and most secure in Indiana history is simply not true. Now, Let's just take a breather. I know that was a lot, right? It is, it's just tragic. I wanna to introduce to you our guest speakers now who do this. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts, and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. And thanks, y'all. Okay, and we're going to pause that right there, ladies and gentlemen. So there is a piece of the uh, presentation from Indiana First Action uh, and the results of a canvas that they performed, guys. It, like I said, it's crazy. It's the same across the board in every state and every county with every um, election integrity group that has done this type of activity uh, and what they're finding. And uh, the, the findings are quite alarming, but at this point expected uh, in regard to uh, what was really going on, you know, like thinking about like, did your vote really count? Like, uh, you forget the people who are dead or the people who don't live at the house anymore. But what if you voted, but you have no record of you having voted? You know, I'm like, I wonder if that happened to me. Anyways, so it's uh, it's it's uh, it's crazy, guys. It's a great example of uh, how you can get involved um, in, uh, in in performing your civic duty. Um, a week, we all do it however we can, you know, some of us can't quite run for office, right? Uh, but volunteering one's time and spreading the word also, um, though, though, though the step might seem little, it is, is actually quite big. 
So uh, there's that, guys. Um, considering running the rest of this um, report at a different time, uh, maybe as a separate type of uh, watch party type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen South Carolinas, you know, we've seen Georgias, etc. We've seen a couple of others and their canvassing efforts. And there are still more to come, ladies and gentlemen. There are still more to come. Uh, they are just flying under the wire right now, so to speak. Uh, but there you go, guys. That is uh, Indiana. And they're not done yet. Uh, there was another thing here. I guess I don't have it, but uh, something about the decertification. Uh, but we'll get, to, we'll get to that at another time. Here's our last story for tonight before we wrap it up with a treat. Um, another example of uh, the people just getting fed up, right? Uh, they protested and they spoke out against their school boards, you know, all year long, all last summer, all winter, all fall, right? So finally, the parents are just taking it into their own hands. Uh, parents are now getting directly involved in elections. Uh, basically, what they're saying is, um, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We just got to take matter into our own hands, right? We just got to take matters into our own hands. So another good example, a story I thought I'd like to share with you guys. Um, this one coming from the Epoch Times. Um, a parent says, I could not just sit on the sidelines anymore. North Carolina parents run for local school boards, right? You know, they say even if you don't have a child in your district, you can still go to these school board meetings um, and you can still uh, voice your thoughts. Just because you have a child doesn't mean that um, you're not concerned, right, about the future of our country. Okay, let's take a look. Uh, like many parents who chose to run for their district school boards this year, Chrissy Pratt had never been involved in local politics. That changed during the COVID-19 lockdowns when Pratt began watching the live-streamed Guilford County Board of Education meetings in North Carolina to keep up with the ever-changing COVID restrictions. What she saw left her furious. By the end of most meetings, I was screaming at the television, Pratt said to the Epoch Times. None of the board members were talking about what was best for kids or how to better educate them and improve their test scores. Pratt, with 10 years of experience in teaching and 12 years in online education, decided to bring to the table a level of insight about children's needs that she said the current board lacks. Transparency is also a shortcoming of the board, which is an issue many parents are most upset about. She said, like many other parents, Pratt found that deeper dives into the inner workings of the system unearthed disturbing trends within the curriculum. Critical race theory, a Marxist philosophy that claims society can only be explained by the theory of class struggle between oppressors and the oppressed, specifically labeling white people as the oppressors and all other races as the oppressed, was just the beginning of what Pratt said she saw as a method of indoctrinating children while sacrificing basic learning skills such as math, science, and English. As a parent, she was able to examine her son's homework and found that large chapters of history were being omitted in favor of others. Her son was taking honors level classes for both U.S. history and world history and had not learned about the American Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, or the Holocaust, Pratt said. The entirety of his United States history was civil rights cases, which of course is important, but they do not make up all of United States history by any stretch of the imagination. 
While the board has denied teaching CRT, Pratt said she's aware of several concepts being taught, such as linking gun violence to white privilege, the tenet of the oppressor versus the oppressed, and the idea that a child can choose his or her own gender. As a former teacher, I am fully on the side of the teachers, but there are teachers literally telling their students not to tell their parents what they are teaching, Pratt said. Although I am an advocate for teachers, if you are teaching something that you are telling your child not to repeat to parents, then maybe you should rethink what you're saying in the classroom. All components of the indoctrination combined with low test scores and a lack of focus on what's best for children motivated Pratt to run, she said. Like I said, I'm not a politician. This is messy and ugly and it's getting uglier. But I also feel that as a parent and educator, I just could not sit on the sidelines anymore. I had to do something about it. And uh, there she is, ladies and gentlemen. That is Chrissy Pratt. Pratt is among five candidates endorsed by the Take Back Our Schools initiative in Guilford County, which began with Greensboro resident Stephanie Mitchell adopting and localizing a larger national movement to investigate harmful school policies. Mitchell started the organization in 2019. The movement was inspired by the book Why Meadow Died by Andrew Pollock, a Florida father who investigated the 2018 shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, Florida that left 17 people dead, including his daughter, Meadow Pollock. While the media reacted to the shooting by focusing on gun control policies, Pollock examined what he postulated were the left-leaning, weak discipline policies that allowed the shooter to evade a parade of red flags. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Mitchell's organization shifted its focus to address the onslaught of restrictive COVID-19 policies that she said the Guilford County School Board enacted without any oversight. For Mitchell, there was a problem of long before there was a problem long before COVID, but it was COVID that gave other parents the opportunity to finally see it. This is not new, Mitchell told the Epoch Times. In some ways, she said the pandemic was a gift because remote learning forced more parents to witness what their children were being taught, including those who had previously written off other parents' concerns about CRT as an overreaction. That's when the light bulb went off for people. It was no longer a conspiracy theory spewed by crazy white moms, Mitchell said, this is real. Mitchell said that private for-profit companies backed by philanthropic organizations such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Eli and Edith Broad Foundation are providing grants to schools with the intent of controlling the curriculum and initiating data mining, social emotional learning and political agendas. And let's not forget that Merrick Garland, that's right, Merrick Garland, his son owns the publishing company that makes most of these CRT books. Anyhow, once schools get that money, they have to do what they're told, Mitchell said. On the Take Back Our Schools website, Mitchell details the Broad Foundation's relationship with the public school system in the Charlotte, Mecklenburg, and Guilford County school districts through the Foundation's professional development training company, Broad Academy. By certifying school officials, such as superintendents, those superintendents are then propagandized into becoming marketing representatives for social justice propaganda that is then distributed to the students through the curriculum, a process that exists without any transparency, Mitchell said. 
The biggest thing that Take Back has been promoting is parental rights and transparency. We do not co-parent with the government and there's been no transparency on money being spent. In addition to Pratt, Take Back Our Schools endorsed four other candidates, incumbent Linda Wellborn and challengers Demetria Carter, Tim Andrew and Robert Millican, who are running on these issues as well as to support teachers and students. These people are their own candidates and we at Take Back are supporting and promoting them because we know they can fix our schools, said Mitchell. We're paying attention now. Didn't we say that, guys? We are paying attention. Michelle Antoine, a mother of eight with a background in education, has stepped up to run for a seat on the Johnson, Johnston County School Board, where proficiency in academics has been traded for social justice ideologies, she told the Epoch Times. Like many parents turned investigative journalists, Antoine began researching and laying out her findings in a series of articles published in the Johnston County Report and on her Facebook page. Michelle Antoine, Joe Co, advocate for students, teachers, and schools. My objective has been to uh, make parents aware of what is going on, Antoine said. In an article titled Activists in Our Schools, Big Data, Antoine delved into the origin, financing, and itinerary of how SEL made its way throughout the school system without oversight or parental input. And again, guys, SEL is not second English language. Uh, SEL apparently, which is a term I've never heard of, uh, apparently, SEL stands for um, social emotional learning, not English as a second language. That's ESL. OK, SEL, social emotional learning, which I didn't even realize that uh, they had an entire curriculum for that. That's crazy craziness. So uh, getting back to uh, getting back to uh, Michelle Antoine, Antoine, that's her there right there. <clears throat> Um, so she says that it got into the schools without parental input or oversight. Um, among the materials she discovered were training modules for local teachers using wildly progressive videos, far leftist resources, and anecdotal stories that labeled white people in Johnston County as white supremacists with white privilege. I put all of this on blast on social media because I was not getting anywhere with the school board and they shut down the whole thing, she said. After Antoine published her findings, she said the school terminated its contract with the former district's chief of equity, information and student services in 2021, though the school did not give an official statement on its reason for termination. Antoine is running for the school board to bring transparency back to the taxpayers, authority back to the parents, and achievement and proficiency back to the students to restore the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic. We have been paying attention. We have not been paying attention, she says, but I think we finally just got awake enough or woken up enough that we are paying attention now. And again, there's Antoinette, or sorry, Michelle Antoine, not Antoinette, my bad. Uh, and she again is running for Johnston County School Board in North Carolina. Ours is a last ditch effort to save our schools. Jessica Cook of Weddington, North Carolina, decided to run for a seat on the Union County Board of Education after seeing a lack of parental involvement within her two daughters' public school but she was also fighting to end overreaching mask and quarantine mandates. 
as I worked on that, I could start to discover uh, many other things in the school system, Cook said. CRT curricula and age-inappropriate books were surfacing in her children's school library system, just as they were in schools across the country. For anyone paying attention, Cook said, you know this is a nationwide problem. In addition to the COVID-19 policies and the CRT curricula, Cook and her Parental Rights Coalition discovered a series of surveys that were being conducted on children that asked them intrusive questions based on the premise of SEL's stated purpose of improving education. Though many argue that social emotional um, uh, lessons and logistics, um, the questions stray far from instructional intent. The North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, according to investigative journalist Sloan Rackmuth with Education First Alliance, had entered into a contract with Panorama Education beginning in 2014. And since then, SEL uh, has uh, taken on a life of its own and only increased since 2020. Panorama Education's founder, Zan Tanner, is the son-in-law of U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Okay, so it's his son-in-law, not his son, all right? Um, I, was, uh, I was halfway there. Um, and let's see here. So it says, Attorney G uh, General Merrick Garland, um, his son-in-law owns Panorama Education. And um, let's see here. Uh, Attorney uh, General Merrick Garland, as we might remember, sought to investigate parents who attended school board meetings to ask questions as domestic terrorists in 2021 at the request of the National School Boards Association. This led to numerous state school boards leaving the association and 14 Republican attorneys general suing the Biden administration for not responding to a freedom of information request related to the Department of Justice's potential surveillance of parents. These social emotional learning programs have a very lucrative price tag, Cook said. Our school paid around $78,000 to let Panorama survey our kids. Each curriculum Cook poured over revealed ulterior motives. It became a daily task of researching, sending emails, writing speeches, organizing rallies outside our schools, and lobbying the school board and county commissioners, she said. Pulling her two daughters out of school was not an option as they enjoyed the community their school provided, Cook said. So she has vowed to stay the course by advocating for them. And there's Mrs. Cook right there. Jessica Cook, candidate for a seat on the Union County Board of Education in North Carolina. Cook drafted a bill of rights that advocates for transparency and parental involvement in schools, which she spoke about during the public comment period of a board meeting in December of 2021. Similarly, the John Locke Foundation, a nonprofit research institute in Raleigh, North Carolina, that examines issues of freedom, personal responsibility, and limited constitutional government, wrote a contract between parents and school boards to sway lawmakers who could guarantee parental collaboration with school boards throughout the legislation. Parental bills of rights have emerged in many other states as well as contentious school board meetings have led to believe parents to believe their voices were being silenced. If we don't step in now, it may be too far gone because as I've continued to research, I found that this movement is not something new, Cook said. We are just now aware, and I think ours is a last-ditch effort to save our schools. If we don't hold the line, then it will never go back 
to the way it was. The way it was, ladies and gentlemen. Interesting article, isn't it? And uh, quite inspiring and uplifting to see. Apparently, that's what you got going on in the state of North Carolina. Uh, What, may I ask, is going on in your state and your neighborhood? Hmm, good question, ladies and gentlemen. Great question. Okay, guys, that takes us to the end of our show. Now, as I said, and uh, thank you all again for tuning in or staying with us or coming on as uh, we've gone through the night here tonight. Thursdays? Well, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting Thursday, isn't it? Uh, yeah, very, very interesting, but uh, glad to have you all with us. Welcome on in, Miss Christine C. And, uh, we got North Carolina in the house, Christine C. Awesome. That's a pretty good article coming out of your state, Christine. Pretty good article. Pretty good article. I would have to say uh, the efforts of parents, uh, concerned parents in uh, in your state, it's, it's amazing. Quite amazing. All right, guys. We are going to wrap up the show tonight with part two of the President Trump Pierce Morgan interview. I know a lot of you guys out there are kind of like, ah, Pierce Morgan, bleh, you know, but you know. Um, uh, it's interesting to watch now. This is, this is the part of the interview, uh, that has, um, you know, spun into whatever it is that Pierce Morgan and his producers want you to believe it was or is, or could have been. Uh, so it should be pretty interesting. I'm sure, uh, to say the least. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll check this out, ladies and gentlemen, for you guys before we sign out for the night. Um, and uh, thanks again for tuning in. If you've been with us over at foxhole.atpill.net, Twitch, Clout Hub, Odyssey, or Rumble, we appreciate your presence. Now make sure you hit that like button and you hit that subscribe or follow button so you can keep up with the C Report and all the other broadcasts that we bring you here at Mr. CTV. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get her rolling. The night has been long, but not long enough. Hey, we managed to keep it just about three hours tonight. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right, guys, without further ado, let us watch these two titans do battle. Trump and I didn't always see eye to eye on everything in our interview, but one thing we did agree about was the royal family. The former president didn't hold back, calling Harry Whipped, lavishing praise on the Queen, and giving his thoughts on the future of the monarchy and the Prince Andrew scandal. But first, I started by asking him about that historic state visit. You know, I met the Queen. Yeah. It was supposed to be for 20 minutes. I saw you just after you saw her. Right. It was supposed to be Mm -hmm. just a quick meeting, and it was beautiful, the pomp and ceremony. Nobody does it like the English. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but nobody does it like We have a certain, you know. But I met her, and it turned out to be more than an hour, substantially, because she liked me and I liked her. Mm. And she's let it be known she liked me and I let it be known. I've had other members of the royal family tell me they enjoyed your company. We had a great time and then they honored the United States, but they honored me that night, which is really the honor of the country. And it was at the top level and I sat next to her. We talked the whole night Mm. and somebody said, we've never seen her smile so much. We had a great time. Mm. She was laughing and smiling. They said they've never seen her have such a good time at a state dinner. You know, normally they're a little boring. Okay, this wasn't boring. So I have a lot of respect for the queen. She's incredible. She loves her country. I think she's incredible. Look at her. She's been queen for, what, 70 years or something, and she's never made a mistake. Even when the guy broke into her room, Mm. sits him down, talks to him, quietly does what... Everything she's done, 
Now, some of the kids, it's, you know, they make a little mistake every once in a while, sometimes a big one. What did you make of this the, Prince, woman, the Prince Andrew scandal? Well, it was a terrible thing. It was a, you know, terrible thing. I think terrible for a lot of people. But, but the Queen, I don't know, has she ever even made a mistake? She's an incredible woman. Good I'm job. not a fan of Meghan. Yeah. I'm not a fan. And I wasn't right from the beginning. What did you make and of I what think she Harry, and Harry said I think to poor you. Harry is being led around by his nose. And I think he's an embarrassment. You know, my, here's my issue with it. I think that they've quit the country. They've quit royal yeah. duty. They're living in luxury in California. Yeah. They want to use their royal titles to exploit them for massive financial gain without any of the duty that comes with the royal titles. I don't think you can have your royal cake and eat it. That's my argument about it. So I want to know what's going to happen when Harry decides he's had enough of being bossed around, or maybe when she decides that she likes some other guy better. I want to know what's going to happen when it ends, okay? You think it's going to end? I do. I've been a very good predictor, as you know. I predicted almost <laughs> everything. It'll end, and it'll end bad. And I wonder if Harry's going to go back on his hands and knees back into uh, the beautiful city of London and say, please. You know, I, I think Harry has been led down a path. I found it when I heard he wasn't going to Prince Philip's memorial Terrible. Terrible. I found that. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, that he would not go to that. He was at the Super Bowl. He was at a Texas rodeo, but he couldn't find time no. to get on a plane. I think that, was, that was a terrible thing. Many terrible things. That might have been, as you mentioned it, that might have been the worst of all. Because he was, you know, like her, he was a tough cookie too. Mm. I remember years ago, uh, Prince Philip came to New York and we were in the Plaza Hotel and there were many people wanting to meet him. And we were all taking a picture with him, many people, and the photographers so I'll never forget this. He was tough. Mm. The photographer said, please move back. There were like 30 of us. And he said, no, you move back. And that was simple. I said, that's pretty good. You know, this guy's tough. Mm. But I'll never forget that. I don't mean that in a derogatory. I mean it he in was a direct. good way. Yeah. Instead of having this whole group of people moving back, plenty of room, the photographer. And he immediately moved back. I said, wow. I mean... Queen had to be pretty tough because I think she was, I he mean, was tough. When he died, I think it was a devastating moment for the Queen. I think they had a great relationship, but he was a strong guy. I never forget a little moment, right? Yeah. He just said, no, you move back. Mm. And he didn't say it in a nice way because the photographer was pushing everybody around a little bit foolishly. But um, I thought it was terrible when he didn't go to the funeral of mm. Prince Philip. Yeah, I think, I think the Harry situation has is going to unfold in a much different way. Let's if see. You, if Let's you see were the queen, is it at the stage now, would you remove their royal title? I would. I take, I, the only thing I disagree with the queen on, probably one of the only things ever, is that I think she should have said, if that's your choice, fine. But you no longer have titles, you no longer... And frankly, mm. don't come around. Mm. You just... Because her loyalty is to the country. She said that many times. Mm. Her loyalty is to the country. And I think that... He has been so disrespectful to the country, and it's a great country. I own a lot of things there. I own a place called Turnberry. You do? And in Aberdeen, I own. And I mean, we have Aberdeen is beautiful, mm. the oil capital of Europe. And I own things there, and I love that country. It's, it's incredible. So Scotland, I love. I love Turnberry. I love what I did there. I built things there. It's a great goal. And I respect great, one of the best in the world. And I, I will tell you, um, she is she is more passionate about her role and and the country. It's going to be very interesting 
Someday she won't be there. Right. It'll be very interesting what happens. And I know Charles pretty well. And I think Charles, and Camilla, I think you sat with her. I do, and and I'll tell you what, uh, she was on my right, the Queen was on my left, and I said, Queen, I really have to talk to Camilla for a little while too. You know, we, we <laughs> no, we we couldn't break apart. And I talked to Camilla, and Camilla was so nice. You know, different than I thought. Mm. She was funny. She was smart, quick. I really she, like she her. She was yeah. great. I like her too, and uh, I like Charles. I mean, he's do serious. Not, do you think they'll make a good king and queen when that time comes? I hope so. I think it's it's a, it's going to be tricky. Mm. He's going to have to be. Yeah, it is. You know, it's going to be tricky because they are truly replacing. You talk about a legend. Oh. I mean, this woman, she's got to have the all-time record of is any she the greatest? Country. I mean, in your lifetime, is she the greatest of all the leaders of any kind? Well, so my mother was born in Scotland. Yeah. And I remember as a little boy. Anything where the queen was on, anything at all where, and it was the pomp and ceremony, but my mother had tremendous love and respect for the young queen mm. at that time. Well, you would have been a kid when she got coronated, right? I was, In the mid-50s. Yeah, but, but my mother wouldn't leave the queen. Right. And she'd go back to Scotland almost every year. You know, she loved Scotland. She loved, but she loved the queen. And so does everybody. Mm. And for this person to come along and, Criticize the queen is just, uh, you just can't do that. So it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. Harry is whipped. Do you mm. know the expression? I'm familiar with the phrase. I won't use the full expression, <laughs> but Harry is whipped like no person I think I've ever seen. <laughs> the most whipped man in the world. Is, I don't know. That's going to be a big one, but he is, he is a whipped man. Yeah. On says the next Trump's answer to a simple question. What is a woman? And I'll show you how our interview really ends. Turn the camera off. Well, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that in his view, biological men shouldn't be allowed to compete in female sporting events. I agree. And I don't actually think it's a controversial statement. But what does Donald Trump make of athletes like Leah Thomas, the swimmer who was mediocre performer as a man, but is now demolishing her rivals and destroying women's records, and in my view, making a mockery of sporting fairness, seemingly with the full backing of the woke brigade? Right now. And how much do you think, the, how much you think the... The cancel culture woke debate is now beginning to really damage the Democrats. And I'll give you the example that's been raging recently. This whole issue of transgender athletes in sport, for example, in yeah. women's sport. Yeah. Leah Thomas, the sure. swimmer. I think it's grotesquely unfair. It is. You know, you can support trans rights to equality and fairness, but also understand that what's going on in sport is inherently unfair and unjust and unequal. Is, is that your position? People see it and they won't put up with it. They had a weightlifter where the record was for 11 or 12 years and they'd put a half an ounce on each side. And the woman would lift. A, a guy comes along and breaks the record by numbers that you wouldn't... Boris Johnson with. came out uh, recently and said he would ban biological males, people born with biological okay. male bodies who transition, he would ban them from then competing in women's sport. Good. You agree with that? I do. I do. I agreed with it long before anybody else. Mm. I think it's ridiculous and it's uh, sad and it's bad for the Democrats because they're not going to do that.
one of the big questions being put to lots of politicians right now is, what is a woman? I'm not, I'm not going to respond to the question, but a woman is a woman is somebody that swims at a certain time and doesn't get beaten by 38 seconds by somebody that wasn't even a good swimmer as a male. There's been much speculation about whether Donald Trump stomped off out of our interview. I plan to resolve that tonight and show you exactly what happened. But before all this, do you remember the most talked about TV walkout before? Because that involved me. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. OK, I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. No, oh, uh, sorry. So, do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, but not my no, own. No, no, no. See you later. I'm being... Sorry, can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behaviour. It certainly was, by him. But shortly after that, I lost my job for having an opinion, and President Trump, it turned out, watched it all go down. Let's talk about censorship. My show is called Piers Morgan Uncensored. Okay. You like the title? I like it, yeah, very much. I know you very well. You've loved me a long for time. For you, it's a good title. I, I don't think you can avoid it. No. So it's an accurate title. I don't <laughs> think if they told you to uh, behave yourself, you can't. So exactly. it's probably a very accurate title. I chose the title because I lost my last job. Yeah, uh, I saw that. The Good Morning Britain show. I thought you overreacted, by the way. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I so mean, the guy, the guy was a stiff. Oh, no, it wasn't about him. He didn't it have to do it. No, it wasn't it was. actually about the walkout. So here's you what made it about him. He, well, got, he got, probably got a nice you made, You're right about that. But here's, here's what happened. So I watched the Oprah Winfrey interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And I'm angry watching it. I think and you were right to be. I thought the attacks on the royal family were disgraceful. I agree. And unsubstantiated. I'm yep. calling them a bunch of... By the way, people. I agree with you. Right. I'm a big fan of the Queen. You so, know here's what, so let me ask you what you would have done then. So then it turns out Meghan Markle writes to my boss at ITV and basically demands my head on a plate. Yeah. And the next day I'm told I've either got to apologise for disbelieving her, or I, or I had to lose my job. Now, what would you have done? I would have left, but I wouldn't have attacked the weatherman. You know, <laughs> he wasn't worth it. Well, I didn't attack him. I left the room. Well, you did. No, you attacked him. Uh, he attacked you, and then I would yeah. have handled it differently, but that's okay, you know? But would you have apologized? Would you have apolog I've known you a long time. Would you have apologized? Well, I thought you were right about the thing. I just didn't like the way you handled it. Is that okay? I think you're not wrong about I shouldn't have walked off. I don't know if you're going to leave this on your interview. but We're going to leave it on the interview. Okay, good. It's, it's, I mean, I don't want to insult the you. The show is called Piers Morgan Uncensored. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to have your opinion. Part of what happened to me was this issue of censorship and free speech. You've had uh, a taste of this by being removed from Twitter, which was a great platform for you. You were very popular on it, and you were very entertaining on it, depending on your viewpoint. Yeah. I liked you on it. I miss you on it. Used to cheer up a boring day. And Twitter is now boring. Well, do you miss do you miss being on Twitter? So I'm doing my own platform. I think it's going to be very big. I think it's going to be very successful. We'll see. But we need a voice. The good news is I have a voice because I do interviews with you and right. other people, some friends and some not friends of yourself, mm -hmm. some you know very well, yeah. right? And some you respect a lot and some you don't. Yeah. But I'm able to get my voice out. But Twitter, uh, what they're doing is really horrible. If well, there are two if things they do, which I think are really contentious. One, they continue to ban you from, from the yep. platform. But they allow Vladimir Putin to have a Twitter account. They allow the supreme leader of Iran to have a Twitter account. They allow a number of Taliban leaders to have a Twitter account. I don't see how they can square off allowing those people to have their platform. You know why? But not a former president of the United States. Do you know why? Because they're sick. They're mentally ill. I really believe that. They're sick people. And our country is going to hell. Right now, our country is going to hell. 
We have people, we have an invasion at the southern border and beyond, but we have an invasion coming in. This, this is bigger than any army is coming in. And it's not 2 million people. I believe it's 10 or 12 million people a year. At the end of Biden's term, I think you'll have 30 to 40 to 50 million people will have come into our country. Many of these people are not people that would ever qualify for any country. Many are people released from prisons from other countries. You know, last week, last week we had 129 countries representative. It's no longer Honduras and Guatemala and Mexico and, you know, the area where it's now it's, they think like, oh, they're coming in from El Salvador. It's now the whole world is being dumped into the United States. We're like a garbage dump. And this is allowed to go on. And the media doesn't want to talk about it. If you turn on to uh, NBC fake news or CBS fake news, any of them, CNN, which is, you know, totally fake. If you turn on to, they don't even talk about the border. They rarely talk about the border. Such an important thing. And they rarely talk. Our country is being invaded and we do nothing about it. I believe, and we'll finish up with this, but I believe our country has never been at a lower point. We had the strongest border in the world. We had the strongest border we've ever had. And now we have the weakest border. We had the best economy, and now we have inflation that's destroying. You know, inflation, if you're like in real estate, like I am and was, if you're in real estate, inflation is a wonderful thing until everything explodes. Here's the big now, how could I not talk about exactly how our incredible interview finally ended? After all, it's made global headlines because apparently the promo was rigged. Donald Trump himself issued two statements, branding it fake news. Well, here's what really happened. It is true that I had a lot longer with him than I'd been promised, maybe three times as long, in fact. But whenever I've interviewed Trump in the past, you buy as much time as you can, and he stays as long as he wants. That's how the system works. The real problem, it seemed to me, was that he was already simmering with anger about the confrontation over the alleged stolen election. I didn't agree with him. But also that his, his aide was incredibly irritating and incompetent as he tried to stop the interview. What do you think? Yeah, we're an hour in. Yeah, sorry, I'm just wrapping up. And this is the last question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last question. That's, That's it. No, yeah, yeah. One last question four times. No, no, I, I realize he just didn't know how to do it, so I just carried on. Uh, there's been so much frenzy speculation and hyperbole about all that, but the truth is Trump clearly left very irritated. Uh, partly, I think, about our confrontation, partly about the fact he'd been sent this secret dossier of stuff I'd written about him before, but I think mainly because of his incredibly incompetent director of communications, or should I say current director of communications. This is the same Taylor who tweeted this about me. Hmm, pathetic. Failure. I'm not so sure you should be issuing those kind of statements, Taylor, given your own pathetic and failed attempt to stop this interview from ending. All I know is because of your ineptitude, your boss, President Trump, wasn't very happy. And I would say that's more of a problem for your employment status than it is for me and my show. But in the interest of full transparency, because, to be honest with you, it's quite fun to watch what goes on behind the scenes. We'd normally have cut this out, but I'm going to show it all in real time. Because right in the middle of all this, uh, we start talking about Donald Trump's hole-in-one at golf, uh, which is a bit nuts, but that's the way these things sometimes go down. It started with a little tangle about COVID. It moves into golf, and in the middle of it, all hell breaks loose. Take a watch. Great Are you job. glad that the vaccine program worked? I, I know that you... I was surprised, I'll be honest, but I was pleasantly surprised that you came out 
and said that you'd not only been fully vaccinated, but you thought other people should yeah, be too. Well, we saved tens of millions of lives. Maybe this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917 had we not come up. And I got it done in nine months as opposed to they were projecting from five to 12 years. I got it done in nine months. So I'm very proud of it. You were great. I'm against mandates, right. strongly against mandates, but I'm very proud of what we did. I saved worldwide tens of millions of lives. One last question. Do you accept that early on in the pandemic that you didn't take it seriously enough or no. you were being told how serious it was? No, but I don't you accept. You I don't weren't accept. sharing that with the American people. I'm a cheerleader for this country. I want to be positive for this country. I take everything seriously, and I took that very seriously. But I'm a cheerleader for the country, and our country came out of it better than anybody else. We've done a great job. A final question, President Trump. It's been good to catch up with you after this uh, lengthy time. I haven't met you. That's it. No, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I realize that. I realize that. I'm not like it. I just haven't asked you You're about You're very dissent. This, no, was, no. this was a 20-minute interview. Oh, I'm sorry. Listen, this was a 20-minute interview. Uh, I think it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, I haven't you know, asked about it's fantastic that. in your opinion. I wanted to end with the hole-in-one. I just haven't asked about the hole-in-one. Do you want to? Go ahead. Okay. You recently got a hole-in-one playing golf with Ernie Els, one of the great right. golfers of the world. What he was is. that like for you? Well, it was great. He's a great guy, great player, one of the most beautiful swings, they say, in the history of golf, and very powerful. And I made it with him and actually uh, three other tour pros, and it was quite a thrill. Talk me through the, the shot. Well, I hit the ball. It was hit well. It felt good. The wind was blowing hard into my face. It was a five-iron that went 181 yards, and it went plank right into the hole. It landed on the green in one bounce, and it went plank. And Ernie, who's a low-key guy, one of the reasons he's acceptable, the big easy, right? But Ernie and the other pros started jumping up and down in the air. And I said, why are you guys so excited? He says, because we don't see hole ones they make, I guess, one every three tournaments, and then you have to be in the group. So it's have rare. Have you had one before? I've had seven. This was a seven. Seven hole yeah, in one? Seven. This was my seven, which isn't that high a number, believe it or not. If somebody plays golf, I hear the record is 49. Okay, people Did you have... buy a round of drinks in the bar afterwards? I don't know, but I would certainly have been happy to. And you don't great. drink? I don't drink, no. It is traditional. You buy a round. That is true. That is true. Did you do that? Probably happened. I didn't (laughs) check, but probably happened because I own the club. I'm sure it happened. Congratulations on the Hollywood. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for a great interview. Thank you very much. Appreciate Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let's go. That was a great interview. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Turn the camera off. So there you have it, in full. You can call it whatever you like, Mr. President. I wouldn't have called our promo a rigged promo. You did leave pretty angry. It certainly wasn't a happy ending. And frankly, I'm a bit disappointed about that because I did think it was a brilliant interview. We agreed on a number of issues. We disagreed vehemently about others. Shut up, Piers. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least he was honest. Uh, (laughs) Leave it up to that wily Brit. Uh, I I don't need to hear his excuses. 
that that's just retarded that's so re everyone saw the promo uh and in uh the uh interview of the season sunday 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 come see and uh appears and uh, appears appears morgan and president trump go toe to toe and uh things don't go exactly the way and uh, yeah, they get into an argument he's all shut up you're very dishonest no you're dishonest no you're dishonest and oh i'm getting but this interview's over oh your nose is bleeding oh and then he gets up and walks away really you know and i was about to say I was about to say, oh, if you were really honest, Piers, you would play the whole thing without any cuts. And he did. And, uh, well, all I, I don't know. <laughs> Stupid. All right. That was retarded, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you see, he was forced to do that. If President Trump had not, uh, you know, uh, come out and, and, uh, and debunked the promo, which the promo would have stuck. The story would have stuck. They would have cut the edit somehow, right? You know those producers. Um, then chances are uh, it would be an entirely different interview than it was. Instead, he had to end his interview with a golf question, right? He was like, I'm, it's, taken me, it's taken me over an hour to, to find a question that will piss off Trump so that we can get this promo right. And I can return to my ratings glory, right? That's only the second ever interview I've ever seen with uh, Red Coat, right? Speak it easy, Piers Morgan. <laughs> so, so silly, ladies and gentlemen. What do y'all think about that uh, Queen Elizabeth, huh? You know, you know, word around the water cooler is um, she did. I don't know. Has London Bridge fallen? I guess wait to find out next time. You know, and also before we go for tonight, uh, a most interesting, uh, we were talking about Kofefe at uh, earlier tonight, like at the start of the show. And uh, I got a text from the Trump campaign, hashtag Kofefe. What are the odds of that, ladies and gentlemen? I was like, oh. Okay, maybe Kofefe does mean iron uh, oxide, the COVID something. I don't know. No, it was more like, you're right on it, Mr. C. The Kofefe bill, right? Secured and, uh, and uh, recorded my uh, social media um, uh, uh, speech and words and text and communications and admitted them into the Library of Congress. So, all right, guys, that's a wrap for tonight. Uh, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of the C-Report uh, on this um, odd Thursday, but a good Thursday nonetheless. We covered a lot of information. We had our laughs, we had our questions, and we had our moments of inspiration. And then, of course, there was Piers Morgan at the end here, but uh, it is what it is, guys. All right. Uh, we will see you guys again. Manana, don't forget, tomorrow we have the President Trump Save America rally live from Nebraska. Uh, the president is due to uh, hit the stage at 8 p.m. Central Time, so we'll be on about 6.30 p.m. or so Central Time. Uh, so come on in. Come one, come on. Bright, invite your friends. Invite your family. Bring your snacks. We'll hold the door open. We'll keep the light on. We'll keep the seat warm. All right, my lovelies. Until next time, you guys have a great night. And as always, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you soon.